a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. It's time for the Zero Limits Podcast, hosted by Australian veterans. Chatting with high-charging humans with hectic stories from around the world. We'll give you the motivation to take on whatever life throws at you and the kick to complete any goal you set your mind to. Let's go. All right, Zero Limits listeners, here we are in the studio. Probably got one of the biggest guests I reckon we've had on the podcast. He'll probably beg to differ. Driven all the way up from south, and I'm look. I've, I've been looking forward to this one. We, uh, we caught up a few weeks ago for his uh, book launch, and just to quickly touch on it, it was the officer involved, TOU, New South Wales Police Officer, I should say, was involved in the Lint Cafe siege, 15th to the 16th December 2014. Officer A, first name just Ben, we can't say his last name. Now, Ben, mate, welcome to the show. How you doing? Good, mate. Um, glad to be here. Yeah, um, it was a, obviously a last minute thing to to come up here purely because we I thought it was in the city, but yeah, we nah. fucked up. <laughs> All good, man. Lucky communication, probably more on my heart, behalf. But uh, yeah, glad to be up here. Yeah, sure. yeah, and obviously this is your first podcast. It is. Um, you've only just dropped your book. It was about December fifteenth. Yeah, so not, what, three not three weeks ago. Yep, and you had big big man Tony Abbott there. Big Tony, <laughs> big Tony was there. Yep, staunch as always. Yeah, and Mike Baird as well. So you had some backing with this book. Yes, yep, we did. Uh, well, I may as well talk about Tony Abbott first. He, him, and Mike Baird actually came into our office the the day after, a couple of days after the the siege, and demanded there were to be no media. They just wanted to come in and shake our hands, so it wasn't a publicity stunt. And uh, had a good chat to to the two of them. And uh, I've had some experience with politicians, and finding genuine ones is difficult. But no, they they were I was able to have a good chat with the two of them. So uh, as as the book progressed, I obviously especially wanted Tony Abbott there, and uh, reached out to him, and he was 
he he read the book, loved the book, and was more than happy to come out and not only endorsed it but launched it. And he's still a, a staunch advocate for it, which is which means a lot, mate. That's massive, especially is, coming yeah. from a former prime minister. That's right, not yeah. just any shit kicker. Yeah, that's right. He was he was the big dog. Well, that's what I said in my uh, speech. Was I must be doing something right? I had a former <laughs> prime minister and a former premier there, so. Yeah, so so did Saddam Hussein <laughs> when he was hung. <laughs> a little he bit did. different. A little bit different. Oh yeah, I felt like I was being hung on a few <laughs> levels, but yeah. not quite the same as yeah. the literal version you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not the best uh, reference there, um, mate. Let's let's start off right from the start. Now let's find out. You know, before we crack on with the Link Cafe and you know your life as a, a New South Wales police officer, even your you know your life as a choco. Not many yeah. people know about this one, which is going to be good to talk about, Choco Life. Yeah, um, yep. we can talk about that. Yeah, so let, let's crack off right from the start, mate. Where did you grow up? Well, you know, well, to the extent, obviously, again, just uh, in regards to your last name, it's under the suppression orders, it's all still hush-hush? Yeah, I'll, I'll just touch on that suppression order. So there's, there's, there's hundreds of orders still from the uh, coroner's inquest, and one of those is my name or identification of me. So as much as I want to put my name to my story and everything, I the police force has made it quite obvious to me that if I am to publish my name that that there will be repercussions. So as of today and uh, the launch and everything, I haven't been able to release my name, but it, it there's uh, things in progress to ensure that I will be able to in yeah. the near future. Yeah, yeah, yeah mate. I'll... If you read the book, you'll uh, you'll know anyway. <laughs> yeah, don't have to be a rocket scientist to work it out. Uh, yeah, mate. So let's let's crack off right from the start. Where would young Ben grow up? How was he as a kid? Was he shitbag? No, as a kid, I was a lovely bloke. Um, honestly, my childhood was was awesome. Yeah, I um, I grew up in the Hawkesbury, so it was I suppose you say semi rural. Grew up on acreage. Uh, had everything we wanted, did everything we wanted. My my parents were from different, quite different backgrounds. My mum was from, say, the Sydney North Shore, so from, you'd say, I suppose from money side of things, although that money was self-made. It wasn't passed down through generations through my grandfather, who was a, a big part of my, my life and... um then my dad was uh he's a full blown country boy. He's from out near Ralston Way and grew up on a three thousand acre sheep farm. So as a result we spent a lot of time there and other places in the bush. But uh yeah, as a kid I was um I was yeah, I was reasonably well behaved, especially as a young bloke, but um then as teenagers Happens, lots of things change. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you've uh, you've got a brother as well, haven't you? Yeah, I've got a younger brother and a younger still sister, so I'm the oldest. Yeah. So your younger brother and you probably connected and caused Yeah, well, to... oh, yeah. We, we did everything with each other. Um, one of the one of my great loves and still would be if I wasn't so busted up is uh, motocross. And yeah, racing, right, yeah. And racing that and um, – from a young age, my mum was trying to push me more into horse riding and stuff like that where I wasn't going <laughs> to injure myself. I, I did every 
sort of team sport as well, but motocross and supercross were definitely the things that I liked and wanted yeah. to do the most. And, yeah, we, we always rode with each other, raced with each other and stuff like that. Yeah, nice, mate. Well, that's that's kind of what I do now. I don't ride and race, but I work with the supercross. You do, you told uh, which me, is, Yeah, so, mate, I'll get you sorted Jealous. next time, next time we're out there. But um, how'd you go at schooling? So, uh, obviously, the three siblings as well, all same school. Yep, all same school. Went to the just the local, the small public school, hundred students or something, and then the local high school out there didn't have the best reputation. So, Mum wanted us sent to another one, so we used to catch a bus and used to be an hour a day oh, on, on the bus. But, but yeah, I went there, and honestly, as a as a kid and a young bloke, I was um, I was actually I did quite well at school. Um. You'd never guess. I was always off in my own my own world. Yeah, but yeah, I hit about. I was always in the top sort of two classes in most of it, and uh, I suppose I can admit it here to an AJ an army bloke. But <laughs> I, I wanted to be in the. I, especially as a young bloke, thought I wanted to be a fighter pilot and all that sort of thing, which is I suppose you watch. Uh, Fair thought. Yep. Top oh, Gun. Why not Top Gun? Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. Everyone wanted to do it. So. But, yeah, then 11 and 12 happened and I did have a – I like to blame a big bike accident I had. Uh, well, I did have, like, bad headaches for two years after it. Like, I, I got knocked out and concussion, woke up the next day and all that. I like to blame that, but I think it's probably a lot to do with the age. And, uh, yeah, so my uh, grades were nowhere near yeah, right. what was required for that. <laughs> were, you, were you going out a bit? Street parties, house parties. There was a, that. I actually that that was. I probably got most of that out of my system after I left year twelve. Yeah. To be honest, that was a good eighteen months of getting that out of my system. Yeah, right. And just uh, I guess moving forward, but going backwards, um, yep. did you have any thoughts about the cops at that stage? Like after you thought about becoming a fighter pilot as well? <laughs> like was it a redundancy plan? Yeah, I can't become a fighter pilot or an astronaut, so I'll become No, a- I, I always wanted to serve. And uh, I think a lot of that, I'll go backwards just a little bit to my grandfather. So my grandfather was a flight engineer. That's probably where the whole Rafi side of things come in. And um, But his, his father was in the light horse and served in Beersheba and yeah, right. everything. He, he actually survived, came back, but... He died only a while after he came back. But my grandfather was uh, a big part of my childhood, as I said, and told us stories of the, the wars, the great wars. He, he was a man of great knowledge and uh, and in, instilled a lot of those sort of values, I think, in me. And I, I always wanted to serve. I just didn't know where where that would, would be. And after I left year 12 and... I, yeah, like I said, got it out of my system for a year and a half. But in that time, I went off and I was working with my old man doing excavation and did a bit of tree lopping with another mate. But, yeah, it's hard work, obviously. But um, the idea from the cops, I, I always thought it up till then I'd probably go into the army, military yeah, for right. sure. Yeah. But um good mate of mine joined the cops and he said, mate, you should, you should give it a run. And I was probably drunk at the time and but he he he, uh, he um he hit me up a day or two later and said i'll put it in, have a go and i said oh why not I'm not really 
this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life, digging dirt or like, throwing lumps of wood into trucks. So, uh, yeah, I, I threw the application in. and What year it, was this? 2001, I think. So I finished school in the end of 99. Yeah. So, so you had two years of just being a little delinquent type thing. Party. Yeah, I, I'd still work, but yeah, I, I got you get in all, trouble with the police at all. I was too fast, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, n- nah, I didn't. Yeah, not enough to stop. Yeah, the cops or anything, but no. Um, yeah, so I threw the application in, and in two thousand and one, they've accepted it, and I thought, oh, why not? Fuck it, I'll give it a run, see what it's like. He's he's told me lots of stories. Sounds like a Decent professional, always wanted to go into, like I said, public life, so wasn't prepared at all. Um, I think I was one of the, it was one of the election years, so they, they pumped out a heap of people in the class, and uh, all the accommodation on the on the campus was already full, and I think just about everything was, everything was rented out in town, down in was Goulburn. It, yeah, right. And it- Sunny Goulburn. How, so how like just just backing it up? So you obviously you you apply uh, in your local area, go to police station, fill out paperwork. Do you have interviews and stuff? Medical, physical? Is there any psych uh, screen or anything? Yeah, we're, we're going back a bit now, but <laughs> there was that was there was a, a time where they didn't do any face to face interviews mm. with like the local coppers. Never came out and talked to me. So it was all put your application in. Yeah, you do your, obviously, aptitude testing and they'll, I don't recall the psych test, but it doesn't mean it doesn't, didn't happen. Yeah, but it, yeah. it really wasn't hard to apply. Yeah, to get yeah right. Yeah. And then you get your date and then you're shipped off down to Goulburn, or up to Goulburn. Got down to Goulburn, sorry. Well, I was in Hawkesbury, so yeah, it would have yeah. been down. would have yeah, been down yeah. at that stage. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and um, like I said, it was last minute, spur of the moment thing, so Turned up there, I think mum, I think my family probably took me down there and then it's like, well, where are you going to stay? And I ended up, I was staying in like a old school hotel and I had like a, no, it was a motel, sorry. It was oh, was it? Yeah, motel, right. so I was uh, living on two-minute noodles and peanut butter sandwiches because all I had was the, uh, the kettle there and the bed and the TV. And on the weekends, I'd still... I'd come home, I'd leave on the Friday Arvo, drive mm. straight to my mate's place and do tree lopping and then back on this back on the Sunday and try to stay awake in lectures on the Monday. Were you getting paid down at the academy then? Was that No. Nah, nah. so when did that stop? It must have been the nineties, was it? Uh they they do a certain amount. They pay a certain amount of people. Yeah. But as I said, this was a big class, so nah, there was no money. So when you that. say big class, probably about hundred and fifty plus? In like, is that how no, they do the, it? No, there was there was a lot more than that. Was there? Yeah, wow. I, I'll, I'll, I'll get the details too. Yeah, 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 definitely. It, it was a it was a big class. Yeah, yeah. And how long was uh, Goldwyn at that stage? Because now I think it's about four months now. Um, I think I think it was no, it was total of nine months. Nine months. Nine so months. they've gone so, from twenty so years ago oh, from nine oh, months sorry, to four months. Yeah, I'm recalling this now. So what? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it used it was twelve months. So they used to do. Three and a half months at the academy, then you go out and you do your community placement and you also do your placement at a police station. So community placement was working in like needle exchange or salvation army. Oh, was it no way? Yeah, they used to they used to get you to do that. 
And then I was the first class to come through where they cut that out and all you had to do was go and do a ride Police along with, it with the cops. And I think I did that for two weeks. That was at Liverpool. <laughs> so Straight into Iraq. Oh, mate, it was <laughs> it was definitely eye-opening. Like, like I said, my, I, was, I was pretty innocent as a child and grew up in a old-school Aussie area. It wasn't exactly diverse and every, it was low crime and everything. And then turn up and then, yeah, the streets of Liverpool, which is a bit of an eye opener. Yeah, couple yeah. Of weeks, but yeah. So then after that, uh, you go back and you do your your, your like your next three and a half months, and if you you pass that, then you you go out as a probationary constable, and then you're doing another year of courses by correspondence to, to yeah. get signed off. How, how did you find the academic side of the policing? As you said, a lot of there would have been a lot of death by PowerPoint sitting there just. Getting it all in because you were pretty shit at school, you said. That was more through laziness at the end. Yeah. Like, I, it's, it's not it, – it wasn't too much of an academic challenge. There was a lot to cram in in, in such a short amount of time. Um, but it's it was still quite achievable. But where we, – we, we spoke about this, we touched on this before, was um, the Diploma of Policing or degree as was then – given to Charles Sturt University. So yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was a lot more, say, academic-based with with a lot of academics actually instructing you and I would say a lot less hands-on on, and issues that I would say are more prevalent to officers that are needed on the street. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Times have changed. Times have changed. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's – Probably even more so now than it was when I was doing it. Yeah, mate, you got to get an arts degree now to become a cop. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the recruitment policies um, <laughs> it's changed. Yeah, it's yeah. I would, I wouldn't. I'd have some recommendations for them. <laughs> I'll say that it's 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 not a job now that's really appealing to the knockabout tradie yeah. footy players on yeah. bikes, which which um, I'd say is is a definite. Makes for not every time, but a lot of the time makes makes for a good cop. Yeah, and um, TAU especially. Exactly, exactly. So just going back to the training uh, as well, how extensive was the firearms training back then? And what are they running? Are you running the Glocks. Glocks, yeah, yep. forty cows. Made it. I I was. They would have run more back then than they do now, but mm. it it wasn't extensive. It wasn't yeah. enough. It wasn't what was required. And necessary on the street, and reality is there's only a, one qualification shoot a year for for general duties, mm. not only general duties, but all of the police officers. Um, that that doesn't really, it definitely doesn't upskill you. No, and no. like you, you you do limited shooting at the academy. Um, not enough officer safety, all those sorts of things. They there is there is training, but it's it needs to be more of a priority, I would suggest. No, definitely, me. definitely. So you, you do your two week on the job training, you pass out of the academy. Family, does your family come down and yeah, yeah it's all a big day. Get your the, hat uh, and your badge and your gun yeah. and I think um, maybe because it, it was an election year, we had the the premier it was Bob Carr at the time. Oh, he, yeah, he came down and I was actually quite impressed by his speech. He was. Um, he gave a speech, uh, how do I say this in a 
politically correct way. He he, he was he was actually he, he had quite a presence despite the way he looked. Yeah, yeah right. Mm. Far out. Yeah. So the, uh, the commissioner and yeah, it was all good. It was a good. It was a happy day. Yeah, threw, threw our hats in the air and. The family all there. It was. It was, it was a proud day. It was. A was it, day. Yeah, of course, definitely. Of course. Yeah. And you obviously get your specific badge and badge number. And we do. That's yeah. We do. We'd been marching. So for the last, the last module, the last uh, three months, you're allowed to walk around in uniform. You have like your your blue straps covering everything, and so yeah, you get to take them off, and you you're actually from that moment. You're you're a sworn cop. So, yeah. And uh, w- when do they give you your posting order? When do you find out about oh, the station so you go to? Prior to that, you had to apply. You had, you had a list of five, and um, you, you're not guaranteed one of them, but um, certain areas, you, it's really hard to get into. Up here, up here in Newey is actually yeah. quite hard because there's there's lots of people applying from up here, and or any anywhere that people want to live is always going to be yeah, hard. Yeah, um, During one of the lectures I had, it was a serving cop, and he, he'd worked at Bankstown, and He'd had a couple of chats to me, and he was saying, "Mate, it's it's an awesome place to work. You'll learn faster out there. It's it's full on. It's it's exciting." And at the time, I was still living at home, and that's a good hour and fifteen minutes, hour and a half away. But of course, I was like, oh, "Why not? Put yeah. in for it. Hook in." And funnily enough, I I got posted there. You got no banks. I got banks. What what year was that? 2002? 2002 would be, yeah. Yeah, so just backing up, obviously, 9-11. 2001, 9-11 happens. Do you remember this day? Were you, you were obviously in the academy. No, I think it was it was prior to that because I remember what I, I remember. So going back a little bit before that, uh, three of my schoolmates and I uh, went over and stayed in America for two months and just backpacked all, all around America. Surprised we didn't. <laughs> cop it over there like we're just anyway we went we just for entertain walked into the Bronx yeah. and stuff like that just to have oh, a look and entertain. yeah tactical retreat happened a couple of times but yeah we were, we were just young and stupid and had a look we're all over there and went to New York and I had um I'd seen the, the twin, oh did you the twin yeah, towers right. yeah before they before they came oh, down and I think we got back it was only about a month before that so I I remember I was on the way to work early that morning to do excavation or something, and I, and I heard about it on the car, and I just pulled over instantly, and I was as as with everyone, I was just in shock. I was like, "How? What's happening?" Initial confusion, like what's happening, and then reading it all, and yeah, so yeah, I remember that day very well, and and just because I'd been there and seen it only a month or two earlier, yeah, it was a, it was a huge Far shock. You reckon you've got any photos from it? We have some photos somewhere. Yeah, I've got photos of it. Have you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's hectic. Yeah, photos in front of it and everything. But it was, yeah, that that was a shock, mate. That was like for everyone. Yeah, I had a firefighter on that was there that day. Oh, really? Yeah, and his story, he got buried twice. Like, heck, yeah. he got buried the first time and then was getting shipped out after he was getting medevaced and the second tower come down and got thumped again. He was in a in a boat. A lot of heroes. Couldn't imagine it. Oh, Could not man. imagine. That's that's <laughs> crazy. Can't. So you get to uh, Bankstown. I do. Now, Bankstown is uh, 
culturally diverse, and it has been for a very long time. Yep. Yep. How did you find Bankstown? Obviously, crime at that stage was pretty, yeah, pretty rampant. At the time, they were parading that it's the busiest station in the Southern Hemisphere. Like, it was definitely busiest in Australia. It was um, drive-by shootings and gang crime. This obviously still is, but it was yeah, it was in the media a lot. Uh, so hearing all of that, being a young bloke and thinking I'm He-Man, of course I want to want to turn <laughs> up there and. Yeah, I'd say I remember that the moment I walked into the the cop shop, I was uh, I was all proud and all stoked to be a cop, and walked into the front counter, and there's some bloke just like full blown just abusing this female cop, swearing and threatening, and I'm just what what the hell's going on here? And she didn't seem to give a crap like she'd heard it a thousand times, and she sort of just looks over at me, oh, you one of the new blokes? I'm like, yeah. My name's blah, 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 and calls out the sergeant. He brings me in and, yeah, sit down. Here's your thing and push the key across the table and say, go home. I was like, oh, okay. I'll, I'll go home then. Anyway, yeah, so then turned up and there was, I think it was 10 other other recruits in my group. Mm. And um, they were, yeah, there's diverse as well culturally and there was blokes and chicks and, yeah. And then they do like a nice little introduction and you get introduced to all the different units in the cop shop, all that sort of stuff, the boss. And then you get allocated to a, a training officer, field training officer. Mine was a was a, a girl and she was just a constable. She'd only been out for a few years. Um, and, yeah, it went from there. And so for the first six weeks, you, you teamed up with – Three in the like you're literally you got to prove yourself. You're sitting in the back yeah, seat, yeah. And third you're, wheeling. You're an you're an observer, and being young and keen, I obviously want to get involved in everything. But I had the, I had the talk as as every new cop, I'm sure. Well, maybe today still gets his everything you you think you learn at the academy is bullshit. Your 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 real training to be a cop starts now. So I took that on board. Yeah, and yeah, one of the the blokes on the team is he's still my best mate now. Gus, he was the other probationary. He was he was three months ahead of me, so a, a class ahead of me, and that was sort of where where we started to become mates. He was the I was the third wheel, but he was the other probationer, and we we're on the same team right from then. So yeah, right. That's that's how we sort of started our friendship was yeah. right from there. Yeah, right. And uh, how was the tempo for work at that station? Obviously, you said it was probably the busiest. So we you was well, it constant? After, so this is post six weeks after you've done your yeah, third wheeling. But, but even right from the beginning. like Just you, nonstop. You, you do a, a quick briefing in, in the morning and like 6.30 to 6, 630 to 7, 12 hour shifts. But sometimes you come on in the morning and the, the different jobs that will come in and However many, like, I think we still had the most cars, I think, for the state, but sometimes you'd start and there'd be 30 jobs outstanding. And you're like, oh, okay, it's going to be a good day. Like 30 different jobs already for police to be requested. And, yeah, it was it was full on. And the whole cultural aspect was, was different for me too. Um, the first time I heard two uh, Arabic men ha- having a chat, I was like, bloody hell, are they about to punch on or something? But... No, they're just just having a chat. So <laughs> it was 
Yeah, it was a real eye-opener. Just just the, the crime, uh, the the different cultures, and it just as a GD's officer as well, you um, you're first to respond to everything and mm. and it's just there it was just so much work and and uh trying to do paperwork and keep on top of stuff mm. and even even learning i was yeah i was told go there to learn because you'll see everything which i did i did see everything but you also found that as a probationer you were investigating and doing cases that you probably would definitely wouldn't be doing until you confirmed and stuff like that so it was good for learning but it was it was just flat out and it never, never really lit up. Yeah. Now, there's a story in your book where you uh, basically dart off and chase, say, an offender. Oh, yes. There is <laughs> and got story. yourself into a bit of strife. Yes. I was prone to that <laughs> as a young bloke. Um, we were patrolling. It was up around Greenacre, which is uh, it's an area known through the – the the rapes, mm. the systematic drive rapes. Drive-by shootings. Yeah. <laughs> still? Drive-by shoot. Yeah. yeah, still. Anyway, we're, we're driving around. There's there's one uh, housing mission block that's especially bad, and if you ever go there, make sure you turn up with a few cars because they've been known to all run out, surround you, throw bricks at the car, and even fireworks. So you, you need to be careful there. Anyway, we're driving up, and I've, I, had a look, I had a look down to my left, and there's a... There's a bloke riding up on a on an R1 and just wearing his boxes. I'm like, what's going on here? Anyway, um, said to Hardy, my my field training officer, she's going, oh. anyway, she thought, geez, he's only his undies. No helmet, obviously, but and um so we pulled up so he wouldn't get out the driveway. Just sort of he's staring at us, he starts revving the bike. He's like, okay, what's gonna happen here? Next thing he uh drops and just dumps the bike on the ground, it smashes on the concrete. So obviously I was pissed that he's doing that to a new R1. I love my bikes. But, but um, yeah, he's just, just taken off. So natural instinct, I just jumped straight out and started chasing him. Uh, didn't make Hardy too happy. She was calling out, but no, nah, I, I was focused on him and that, that was all I was, was, was going to do and ended up, um, as I'm chasing him down, I see all – all the, all the faces start appearing, and all the men. A, a common thing back then was they used to um, deck out their their garages because in in the some of them were townhouses, and they'd all just hang out there. So there was men everywhere already staring, going, "What's going on here?" So, well, I wasn't going to stop, so I kept chasing him, and he ran all the way down the cul-de-sac and into a house, and he's run through his garage and slammed the door. So I'm straight into it. Kick the kick the door straight in and and then um, as I've come in, a uh, an older bloke come out dressed in the the full Islamic attire mm. and he sort of I can see he's coming in, into my right and the the young bloke's still at the end of the hall so I'm still focused on him and then he's yelling at me in Arabic didn't understand me so, and then he's just grabbed his grabbed his heart and collapsed on the couch I'm like okay what's going on here but. Yeah, then I started moving towards the uh, POI, as we call them in the cops, person of interest. And then uh, a woman's come come out in a full burka and she's screaming at me and next thing she's grabbed her heart too and she's collapsed on the floor. So I'm like, bloody hell, what's going on here? Like, the young bloke, I still wasn't exposed to all this sort of culture, but I'm like, I'm here for him. So 
ran to the end door. He, sl- he slams the door shut and, um, yeah, lined up, kicked that in as well. And then he's he's got his hands up and wants a, wants a punch on. He knows he's cornered. So I um, arrested him, <laughs> got him to the ground. And, um, yeah, that's when he starts screaming for all his mates. And at that point I've, I was obviously still blowing because I've yeah. been running, but I'm getting on the radio saying – can you come here? And then the radio So where are you? And I'm like, oh, no, shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I know where I was. And um, that's when I started to realise, okay, so I've run myself into a little situation here. I've still got an old mate. I've managed to get him handcuffed. He's still trying to fight me. I'm I'm in a house. He's screaming out that I can hear all these men yelling outside. And so I just I positioned myself so I was facing the door, just waiting for someone to come in. But um, – yeah, radio's still trying to get locations off me. And Hardy, uh, my, my female training officer, she she saved the day, mate. She she come in and found me and, yeah, it all was good. Dragged him <laughs> off and got a bit of a pat on the back from some of the the older coppers saying good job. But by that stage, it was probably about 50 Arabic men surrounding us all and carrying on trying to fight. But, um, no, we, we got him out and cleared off and... Yeah, but I did enjoy that that day and that job. Yeah, right. I was like, you know what, all this bullshit paperwork and everything I'm doing, and this is this is why that's why you did it. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And was it was there each of those styles of uh, incidences? Um, yeah, I got I got into quite a few foot pursuits. I got into another good couple, and I, that's what that's what you join the cops for, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I had another one, a young, a, when I say young bike, he's probably my age at the time. His car's full of drugs and just pulled up on the side of the road and you can't handcuff him like in America, so you've got to stand there and make him watch you while you're searching it and next thing he's just taken off as I found all his drugs and just chased him through houses, like over fences, like, like full on Hollywood sort of stuff, you know, that you've got to be careful around there, all the pities in the backyard, you've got to make sure they don't get you. And But yeah, I, I had... Yeah, there, there were there were enough good jobs to keep you young because reality is as a GD's cop, you nearly always turn up after the incident, which mm. is which is draining because all you're really doing is just reporting, taking it all down, and if it's if it's a big job, you'll pass it off to the detectives. But you're, you're not actually stopping the crime; you're just reacting to it. So reactive policing, yeah, not proactive. Yeah, which you know can be bad sometimes because then you turn up to car crashes and. I'm sure you remember your first dead person too. This is the one thing that most cops always remember that first. Yeah, you know, it's, yep. it's that's a crazy thing to think of. <laughs> like it's 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 yeah. odd. Oh, well, it is. Yeah, I remember a young bloke. I'd I'd see my 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 pop dead, but he was all dressed nice mm. and everything. But and um, but it's it's yeah. You you always remember your your first one, but you also remember the the horrendous ones. Of course, yeah. Because, yeah, when – and the smell is something that you never forget and uh, it just – it pierces straight through you, especially if they're there for weeks or something. Like I've smelled dead animals as a young bloke in the farm and everything, but it's, it's just it's just a different smell, though. <laughs> it's – oh, no, fuck oh, I can smell it now. Oh, mate, Just yeah. talking about it, you can smell it, you know what I mean? Like, and it's just, it's just so thick and – Yeah. Yeah, you, have, you end up having to bin your clothes and everything. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, like – Endless, like well, I've I've seen 
obviously car accidents I've seen because mm. there, there was a big gangland shooting spree that kicked off when, when I was there during that time. It was um, two big crime families in the area and it was – I think I referenced it in, in my book. It was like the Romeo and Juliet yeah, yeah. type thing. I think yeah, one of the girls from one family married one of the other and it was a falling out and then it led to – mate, there were just bodies everywhere and – as a GD's cop, you'd rush there, try and get there to try and get the shooter, but 99 times out of 100, they're already gone. So, yeah, there'd be just bodies. But, yeah, in the book I describe some of the more more colourful ones, you yeah. would say. But it, the the first one that sticks out in my mind was the the train crash. That was um, – because you get a lot of jumpers, people jumping in front of trains. And and then as the GD's cop, you're – your job, obviously, is to lock down the scene, make sure everyone goes away, call in all the experts, crime scene. and But then you, you're given the job, of, especially the new bloke, of picking up all the body parts. And, and I, 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 do, I do remember thinking, like, Hollywood actually gets some of this this, this stuff right. and Because this this bloke, uh, tell me if I'm going too graphic. No, no, far, let's, but, let's go. But, but he was, yeah. the reality. <laughs> well, it is. And he jumped. He obviously jumped down in front of the tracks, and I don't know what part of the train, but it, sp- it split him just just above the eyebrow line, and obviously all the brains had come out, and he was spread over a good good hundred meters, mm. and like just maybe feet there, hand there, arm there, guts there. Mm. But uh, I, I still remember one thing sticking out was when my mate Gus was there as well, and um, he's. It was like he's two different, like his legs, the bottom half of his legs were spread out, but the the impact had actually stripped his shoes and socks off because we found them further down. I was like, that's interesting. So so that sort of stuck it. But yeah, that you, as a GD's cop, you, you have to you, you see all those sorts of horrendous ones. Like I saw another one I spoke about was the the body had been in the bath for ages and turned into a human soup, and and then the the ex what do they call them? Drug dependent person or something, so a junkie, the poor thing. She died in a room, but she was like completely, completely green. Rolled her over, and and um, so everyone when they die, like their bowels let mm. go right. Mm. So that's all out, and it, it it was, yeah. There there were plenty of there were plenty of things that you, you don't you just don't forget them. They all add up. Like I yeah. I turned up, the bloke had just just hung himself, and yeah. I was trying to lift him up to cut him down and sort of um, like his bowels are all let go. He's dribbling all over my shoulder and like all these, they're things that um, it, it, it changes you quick, quickly yeah. enough. Like, yeah. But, um, but you, you, you it doesn't do, change you do at, with it. At, no. at that time frame as well. You don't even think, you don't about, think it. about it. It's just, no. like, just it, another like, job. Yeah, just another job. And, and then it creeps up and you, you, oh, eventually. For, for me, I those like dead bodies didn't really like after seeing the first few and some mm. of the horrendous ones like it I don't know if dead bodies necessarily was anything that impacted yeah, yeah, me in yeah. the long term it's but it's it, on a mental health level I'm talking yeah. about but it, it changes a person of course like, yeah. and, and seeing what other people do to each other that that takes its toll on yeah you. and, and you, you become more cynical towards people and that's that's yeah. it and oh, i guess for the listeners especially the listeners and not cops this is what cops deal with every single fucking day you know they could have been at a you know a car crash to see someone that's dead and the next minute they're 
dealing with you fucking whinging about your cold coffee and you've had to go up the fucking barista. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. And 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 I really tried and wanted to convey that in in the book because it's the um, payback for the reader is obviously every, my the tell all and the frontline version of what happened at Lint. But I, I wanted to to show not not only my experience but but what it's like out there for a cop. For, for every cop and yeah. Yeah, like you're saying, like, like the day I remember, I went to a, was a nine-month-old baby died of cot death, oh, and fuck. and the sergeant had done the right thing, sent me and another young girl who hadn't didn't have kids at the time, but you're there and you're seeing the family saying their final goodbyes and this poor little baby, and it's 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 horrendous. And then I mm. yeah, and then like that 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 can take up the whole shift, but I th- I think I remember going to another job and having someone complaining about turning up turning up so late and trying to explain the situation for a, something small like a, a uh, I can't remember vehicle complaint someone had left their car there for three weeks or something it's like okay but you y- you have to be able to do that as a cop you you, you can't just drag that to the next job as your, your responsibility you can't turn up being an asshole at the next job after you've just been dealing with a dead baby yeah, in their family yeah. or so just yeah. just to quickly touch on that side of things, going back to your training in the academy, do you think it prepared you to do what you did and all that type of stuff down the track? No. There's no, no. there's no training relation. It's no. just single Nothing. swimming. It's um Yeah. It's it's Did they show anything gory it. in the police academy? Like was there any it's not in the army, mate. Fuck, it was all about gory videos and people getting their heads cut off. And yeah, it was called yeah. an arousal. That's what yeah. they used to call them, the arousals. Okay. I've yeah. seen plenty of them. Um, <laughs> honestly, it'd probably be just amongst people. It, yeah. They'd never really. Yeah, they really. Well, I mean, one of the core subjects at the academy is is ethics, <laughs> which is one of the four core subjects, and all taught by um, non non police officers mostly, and they're there teaching you. That half price Maccas is corruption, and this this is the step you need to take to report other police officers. I remember that sticks out in my mind. I'm like, sorry, half price Maccas, because I don't know if you've covered this on your show, but the cops, are, sorry, the McDonald's obviously have an agreement with cops that yeah, they'll give you half yeah. price Mac. That's yeah. probably why you see so many fat coppers out there. But <laughs> but not only that, it's um, it helps McDonald's because. There's a lot of grubs hanging out at McDonald's, so if they exactly got cops right. there, so it's free, it's, yeah, it's a, it's free it's security. It's an agreement that they're more than happy with. But yeah. Yeah, so. That's what the pubs should do. Free free beers and free meals. Or free meals, free dinners. Oh, mate. Can you imagine that? <laughs> free, mi- free dinners at midnight oh. when the nightclub's banging. Mate, you, you'd honestly, you'd, you'd probably get charged for that as a cop. You, you'd <laughs> yeah. literally get charged. It's a funny old world we live in now. Mate, but, it is. Um, yeah, no, there's, there's no... No emphasis on mental mm. health. There never really has been throughout my career, I wouldn't say, and definitely not. There's nothing to prepare. It's either, well, you sign up to be a cop, you, you know you're going to see some, some rough shit, so yeah. think or swim. And and even the mentality amongst the cop, like dark humour is the way you deal with you. I'm sure oh, it's yeah. the same in the military. Oh, like, like, <laughs> it gets dark. Yeah. It gets it gets borderline criminal dark. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, like you have to. It's, it's your way of yeah, dealing with exactly. it. Like it's like seeing that that dude spread out over a bloody hundred meters and picking up body part. Yeah, mm. yeah. It, it it definitely happens. Like yeah. dark humor is is something that, and it helps cops to get by. Like 
That's human. That's human nature. It is. You're better off to make a joke of it rather than go, "Oh, that that was fucked up. That, yeah, that messed me up. I'm gonna have a nightmare." You never talk like that. Yeah, it's just you're just like, "Oh, fuck." Yeah, yeah this crazy shit. That's yeah. that's it. Especially yeah. in those days too. If you spoke like that, you'd be fucking chipped off Oscar straight away. Size. Yeah, no one want to. Yeah, no one wants to deal with people like that. So. Exactly. So in 2004ish, five-ish, you uh, become a chalk. Where is it? Where does this come into play? You just. <laughs> You saw nine eleven happen. He's like, I want to get some. I want to kill some terrorists. Well, he did eventually. I did. I reckon it was. I, so I joined up the cops. It was. Um, it was. It was probably a bit different than what I thought. Like it. It was. It was. Mate, it was just so full on. So, but it was. I think I was getting a bit. It, it wasn't fulfilling what I wanted to do, mm. and and I like I I liked the idea of the army and the military and. Um, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to. Um, I still love being a cop, but I, I want to do. I wanted, I wanted to join the army, and, and I'll go and get a taste for it. And if, if that's what I, if that's what I want to do, then I'll. And and I was told from the recruiter from day one, look, if you, if you like it, if you're successful, then you can move over to the reg, regular army. And so I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll get a taste and see what it's like. And um, yep, went to the recruiter and. Signed up for the for the infantry, for the grunts, and um, I was even before that. So I was attached to one commando, the reserve commando unit, but didn't really see them for quite a while. So yeah, I went down to Kapuka, did the whole being told when to eat, sleep, and <laughs> yeah. And polish how did you find how did you find the difference between? Oh, and, yeah, well, you know, cause, holding your handkerchief to four square centimeters. Oh, mate, yeah, I, I, I smiles in it, your socks. <laughs> like I, I can't complain, and I, I'd always tell myself, I said, look, these poor regs are here for a lot longer than me. But already by that stage, I'd already been in the cops for a few years, mm. so being, being treated like a less than human, like a child, <laughs> it. it yeah, I wouldn't say it was an ego, but it was hard to take. It's like, yeah. man, like when you're lying there at night, it's like, man, I haven't had a shit for f- five days. Like, all I want to do is go and have a shit, and you can't. It's like, mm. yeah, that 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 was, I did. Uh, that was probably the side I found challenging. The rest of it was was sweet, and Easy. and and yeah. I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed that. I I more so enjoyed my um, ats and doing the infantry mm. training, and did one at Singo and one up north, and then. That was good, except for most of our training, um, infantry training back then. Well, obviously it was only in the Chocos, but we just dug a – I think we were out bush for a week and just dug yeah, a pit. Stage trees. Just dug a pit all day. It was raining on us all day. And then, <laughs> then all night you just you just contacted all night. And, oh, fuck. And I remember under the hoochie and there's just like water running through and, and then you're getting contacted and – you run and jump into the pits and the water's up like up yeah. to your waist and I was like, bloody hell. But well, no, the, but they're they're the things you remember. But no, I, I did have lots of fun. Yeah. And I and I enjoyed it and and I was definitely uh I would say considering going down that road. I was still uh attached to, to one commander. We were in like a support platoon at that stage, so they um how would I say it? They prioritised the the real gunslingers, mm. not the not the uh, the support platoon on the side. So yeah, sometimes they just run us till we spewed or something, or just do the same old training. There there wasn't a big emphasis on it. They actually disbanded that later on. I'm not sure what they do now. 
But um, so I yeah I had the conversation with my uh, first wife at the time, and she she couldn't handle me being all away, so mm. I um I gave it away at that stage. Um, I thought if I'm if I'm going to commit to something, I, I want to do the whole regs thing. I don't yeah, know, yeah. I, I'll do it properly, but um, yeah, I, I definitely enjoy my time and I learn a lot from. Because I remember on one of the um, infantry mods, there was an ex. When I say ex, he was still in the SS, but for some reason, he probably got himself into a bit of trouble or something. But he was instructing on it, and um, yeah, he, he stuck out in my mind as sort of someone I held in high esteem. He's highly motivated. He obviously knew his knew his shit and. Not a bad instructor to have. No, mate, for a bloody chocker. (laughs) I was like, Jesus, what happened here? So I was like, yeah, and just hung with him, learned as much as I could from him. Then, um, yeah, went went back to the the cops, like I said. I was still, sorry, I was still in the cops the whole time. And and the police force, to their credit, are actually pretty good at giving you time off to go and do all the Army Reserve stuff. And, but... um, yeah, there were there were certain things. Uh, I think the next selection course at one commando was still a year or eighteen months away, and so I stayed there. I stayed on. For, I think I was only attached to them for about a year and a half. But uh, with work being so flat out, and I I missed quite a few of the the Tuesday arvos. Like mm. it doesn't work out necessarily with the the, the twelve hour shifts. And but anyway, so. Back in in the cops, which was still my primary job, I um, I had the my wife at the time was saying, "Look, you can't go away again." So I th- I think I committed to that, and I was like, "Okay, well, if I go away for the selection, which is a month or something, I think, then she won't be there." And then obviously all of the training course was going for a year or two after it. So yeah, I, I sort of put that off. I, I always thought I'd, oh, I'd go back to it if, if if things don't work out in the cops. But I, I refocus more more or less on the cops. And um, I think after four years in general duties, just just my ring hanging out, just job to job, paperwork lining up, staying back every shift to try and get on top of it. Then on top of that, you've got the whole legal system, which I've <laughs> I've touched on in. The, there's, there's quite a few humorous stories in there, but it's, um, yeah, we, we don't call it the justice system. In the no, it's no. the legal system. It's the lenient system. Yeah, it, mate, like, it, how many it, times do you catch joke. re-offenders? Like, re-offenders, oh, all, all the time. that's what I mean. Like, how yeah. does this? All the time. And, you know, fuck, moving down the track to the Lint Cafe, look at fucking Monas. Yeah, that was that's a fucking absolute joke. Like, yeah. how, how does that happen? Don't know, don't know. But uh, so going back, um, back to your cop life, was did you obviously knew about TOU? Yeah, so yeah, so I, I, I did four years, and I'm yep. like, this is. I think I think it was more just um, the whole reactive thing. Like they encourage proactive police, and like if if you get time, go and do knife searches on drug deals or turn up, but. And you're expected to do all that, but reality is you just, you just never had time. But um, I, I got sick of turning up after someone had been hurt or someone had been killed. So, and I wanted to try and stop stop it. Mm, so mm. I, I definitely had interest in proactive policing. I went into um, I did the whole part time right squad course, the uh, OSG back then. Yeah, and um, 
so that that allowed me to do like part time rights shifts and yeah, you know, mate. To be honest, I had, I had a lot of fun doing yeah, right. the 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 full time unit trying to recruit anyone, but no, that didn't interest me. But I did I did some some cool stuff and um, I still remember one was the I talked about it in the book. It was the um, APEC. APEC rights, and um, we we've been briefed and told there's a there'll be some mad anarchists turning up, and they'll be dressed all in black with their faces all blacked out. And funnily enough, if if we see any group of that, and then they they put up the pink battle flag, quite ironic. But um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, we're looking at all these blokes, and next thing the pink battle flag comes up, and we, we, I'm just standing there with with because we're sort of attached to the OSG, the part-timers, and we're all with mates I work with. And the old flag comes up and I'm just standing there in my, my blue overalls and my baseball cap. And the next thing from this group, there's about 30 of maybe even up to 50 of them. And the next thing, there's just darts flying through the air everywhere. It's like, ah, oh, shit, okay. So we've got no protection. So I, I just remember tilting my cap like that. I didn't want to cop it in the eyes. And, and they're just flying past our heads. Like we hadn't even been given the the order to push in and grab him. And um, there's an old school, he was a very old school sergeant next to me. And I've, I've I've seen sort of out of my peripheral, I've seen this dart coming, I've hit him and I'm like, I turn to have a double look and I'm like, oh shit, there's a, I said, hey, uh, hey boss, <laughs> there's a dart hanging out your head. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> He's just ripped it out and thrown Fucking hippie bastards. And I'm like, <laughs> holy shit, he's hard. He, he's been around that bloke. But, um, yeah, then it sort of escalated. One of the team leaders worked out we're going to go in and get him, and um, I was on one of the, the arrest teams. So we had to, to rush the group, and and I was, yeah, I was one of the first ones. So just had to knock them all out of the out of the road as we rushed in and grabbed one of the, the main blokes throwing them. And... Uh, yeah, they were just wailing on us. There's only a team of five or something. There's like forty of them, so they're just hitting us with everything, wailing on us. And um, got the the bloke grabbed him in a headlock, the one who's dragged him all back, and we got him on on the bus, and yeah, we arrested him as appropriately. And um, yeah, one of the other boys, there was a another protester had like a, a steel pole wrapped it in cardboard and. Whacked him across the head, split his skull open. Like they were, but they were, they were bad. Like they were throwing marbles down. Under what the, year was this? APEC two thousand six. Yeah, two thousand six. Yeah, yeah. So I remember it. Yeah, yeah. And like, and then they'd be ripping our badges off and stabbing the police mm. horses and like, like throwing marbles down so the horses fell out. Like they were just purely there for their own entertainment. And yeah. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, fuck, I did a bit of right training in two thousand six. I was at Holsworthy. Yeah, mate, we, we um, yep. I still remember, I'm pretty sure it was this incident, but that, uh, that terrorist, what was his name, Mamdu Habib, was what he said? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think he was, he was walking around as a bit of a celebrity and all of these, um, mad anarchists were running up trying to get his signature and like, that's quite, uh, frustrating, you'd say, seeing all that sort of stuff going on. But, um, mate, that was just one of, yeah, I had quite a few. Good jobs in in the rice squad. I enjoyed that time. Never never wanted to do it full time. Mm. Did rotations through, say, just for a couple of weeks through the detectives in the highway, and wasn't for me. And then I um, applied for the proactive unit 
the plainclothes unit and got in over there, and that that was great fun. Eh? Yeah, right. So what year was that? Two thousand six, seven. Yep, yep. So I've been there four years. So yeah, about two thousand six. Yeah, right. And so, um, it, so what? What is the plainclothes? You just pretty much plainclothes police officer. Pretty well, yeah. You you pretty yeah. much you, you target blending you, in. You, yeah, you target the. It's not like high scale, yeah, high end drug dealing, but you the street level stuff and gangs and you just you just interrupt it all and get in the face. Like you get to know every dead shit in the area, and they all know you. Mm. And this is all out of Bankstown. This is all out yep. of Bankstown. Yeah, Bankstown, the actual local area command is a it's a big area. Like we we even had like Villawood Detention Center was part of it. We'd go all the way down down south and just the different dynamics of, of the area. We had Bankstown Airport. You'd have the plane crashes every now and again. Mm. And yeah, that it was a very large area for such a busy area, but, yeah. Um, so, yeah, going back to the plane clothes, yeah, lots of lots of drug work and if, if there were certain problems turn up, like certain amount of stolen cars, to, you'd be asked to target that area. Or, but most of it was just, yeah, drug crime and gang crimes, chasing all the drug users and all the gangs and I, I love doing that. I did the um, – whilst I was in it, funnily enough, I did the mountain bike hops, of course. <laughs> mate, that is awesome, mate. Is it? Yeah. Oh, mate, I could not believe – because I grew up riding pushies and yeah. motorbikes and I thought I'd just turn up and piss it in, you know. And then um, you turn up you're riding down massive flights of stairs and doing all this sort of riding. I was like, bloody hell, this is – it was awesome. It was pretty. It was. It was a good course, and for working around and as part of that proactive unit, sometimes you'd be allocated to go out on the bikes, and yeah, it's a great way to get around. See where yeah, yeah. get on the trains. Get lights and sirens on them. Oh mate, that'd be embarrassing. I think if yeah, but, if I was to be chased by a mountain bike guy with lights and sirens, <laughs> I'll just laugh and just go, "What are you?" Doing? Well, we did. We did have this. Yeah, and we. We knew that too, but and I, I'd do that for the piss take. Like, yeah, because there's a there's a Chinatown, like a Vietnam Vietnamese Chinatown in Bankstown. So, and I had this young bloke. He's just been a smart ass for too long, and I I I can't remember the exact crime, but he'd done something, and he saw me, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to get this little bastard. So, when I say little, eighteen year old, and um, he's taken off, so I activated the siren to be a smart ass. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, riding through. As you can imagine, Chinatown, there's people running and screaming. and But, yeah, I, I had a good chase with him and crash tackle him off it. But, yeah, I, I, I don't think there'd be too many cops who, to, who take <laughs> that story <laughs> too seriously, yeah. man. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, so during your, your time uh, as a GD and all these other uh, type of style of policing, did you ever work alongside the TOU guys? Was there any high-profile jobs where you had to call them out or – Oh yeah, there was a lot of work in Bankstown from mm. the TAU. Um I'd seen them on a on a couple of jobs. Normally not on on the job, but they'd just turn up do briefings in the police station and stuff like that. But uh I remember one we were doing a it was a it was a big job. There was multiple search warrants going on. So all of us part time riot squad were there, the regular riot squad and then the TAU boys turned up and they were in their full kit and Bellers and M4s hanging off and like just hanging off the side of their four drives. Fucking like, cool. What am I doing? Yeah. I've got to do this shit. Yeah. And because um, before that, there's a whole thing in the in the cops. Like it's just it's unachievable. It's just too hard to get into. You got to be fucking he man to get into it. And but 
yeah, once once I saw that, I was like, you know what, like, this will fill that gap that I've had that that I wanted to with the army, but couldn't through commitments to my partner at the time and through committing to the cops. So I was that that was it was it was like a I'd seen where I wanted to go, and I thought that this can can fulfill that part of me that I've always that I've always wanted to, and um, yeah, put put in the the application and went to the the info day in the, right in the city and um they yeah they they, they put on all the display all the sniper mm. rifles and the all of the different guns they're using the M4s and and I was I was wrapped I was like yep this is for me Fuck yeah and and I made I I was fit like I'd done team sport my whole life I'd race motocross I thought oh yeah I'll be alright and then one of the one of the guys on the last course got up and sort of told us the training and what they're going to expect on selection. I was like, "Fuck, I'm starting to get here. Like, I'm going to have to really hook in for my for my training." And um, yeah, for a, probably a good nine months, I was just just flat out just just training, just training, yeah, every day off. Like I was still at work, but even the mountain bikes actually helped a lot with that. Yeah, right. There you go. There you go. There's always this, the steep hills that you might need to to ride up for a bit of training, but no, I'd, I'd ride to and from work and I'd be training flat out on my days off and, um, yeah, eventually, yeah, put in my application that was accepted and then, then we have to turn up for the um, the basic fitness test. Just It's like a, it's like a day of minimum standards mm. to Just see. to see if you've yeah. – at, at, a, at a standard at yeah. least. To, to, yeah. to see if, if they're even going to bother putting you on a yeah. selection course, so – I, I I'm not sure the exact amount of reports go in, but it was well over a hundred. A lot of people want to join it. Like it's the the place you want to go to and after all the aptitude testing, or you do aptitude testing, psych testing and everything, then I got accepted to go on the BFT BFTs and um So the BFTs? Basic fitness tests. Yep, yep. Yeah. And and um anyway, so see so we turned up and there's there's a lot of blokes here, right? And um, I knew one other, one other, my good mates, Smitty. He was um, he's now left the cops, but he's like a he played footy league at a good level. Just one of those gifted dudes, you know, just super fit and strong. And so I trained with him, and he he helped bring me up to a really good level. And yeah, we turned up, did the like, there's the minimum minimum chin ups, minimum push ups tricep dips and there's like an agility run and there's a there's a swim and the fireman carry you gotta throw the dummy and run up and down the the stairs and everything like it, it was a big day it was a, it was a long day and um so i think after i think there were so many recruits who wanted to try out for it they run it over two separate days and after that there were 44 people who were allowed to go on selection, selection. Yep. yeah so then um couldn't tell how long after that it was uh, probably another month or something. Oh, was it? That, yeah, right. that then they run they they schedule the course for all the successful applicants. And it's down in down in Goulburn, sunny Goulburn, and yeah, you, you, you turn up and you're 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 on the on the parade ground. Obviously, you you try to get there early, dressed in dressed in your best two blues you can. And I still remember one bloke turning up late and running over at the last minute. And there was there there was. One guy I knew from Bankstown as well, and he 
he obviously didn't have uh, the military experience or any, and he looked like he would look like a bag of shit. I was like, this poor bastard's going to cop it right from day one. Like his boots weren't well polished, and the blues start to yellow as mm. I get older. Mm. And um, yeah, on the program, man, it was like um, it was like Full Metal Jacket. The <laughs> the, the instructor yeah, had us all lined up, and he's ex-military, ex-regular military, and was just teeing off like there. No, nothing was just sacred. insults. Just. In your like yeah, spit, yeah. spitting in your face, and yeah, and from that moment, yeah, it was it was just on the whole course. How long? How long is that selection? Seven days. Seven yeah. days, and it's just intense. Well, yeah, well, it was, it was. From my understanding, it was written by. Um, he was an ex SAS turned TAU member, so he wrote it based on the SAS Hell mm. Week. So it it lives up to its name, like it's. It's it's intense. It's intense week. So from there, yeah, just straight on the the pack march, and then then like we went all night. I remember the first night we we went all night. So so we did the pack march. Some of the blokes like you had to do it in a certain amount of time. Some people failed. Twenty k's. No, it, it's not that long, but it it was it's only a ten k with, with twenty kilos. So it's it's like I'd done. Like twenty k's in in the military, and I was always the uh, mm. the gunner because I'm a, one of the bigger yeah, blokes. So yeah. I always carry my weight. So it's it's not really it wasn't the length that was hard. It was the time. Yeah, and like back to the the BFTs, like the the day um, you had the minimum standards, and then because there were so many people, you had to try and get above. Like I think the minimum was eleven chins, and that's full to stop and go back up and. And then I think they did uh, points above it to get above that. But it was the same with the pack march. So anyone who failed that, even on day one, it was like four four blokes just sent home straight away. And then from there, just been screamed at the whole time, taken out and did a um, like a circuit, strongman circuit, sprints and carrying logs. And that just went on for hour and hour and just waiting for blokes to start collapsing. And then there was a, on, on the bus and taken out into the middle of the bush at near Goulburn, and we had to set up one of those. It was sort of like a military hospital type, like one of those big, mm. long, white plastic tents in the middle of the night, no light. And yeah, we did that all night. It was, if, if we weren't so exhausted and could see, <laughs> probably would have taken us there. But no, we did it all night and set up on little stretches. And just as we lay down, it was bang straight up into it again. So there, there was no, no real. Sleep was sleep deprivation was was one definite thing. Yeah, so seven days of just like full on SAS style selection, just getting food deprivation, sleep deprivation. Yeah, I can't speak for the SAS, but I can say it it was it was just yeah, it was full on. And um, for, uh, food, I wouldn't say they smashed us too much on food. They were they allocated us time for food, but um. I mean, if if we weren't being fed, our bodies wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to can just do back up like back to back jobs of lots of stuff. Of course, like that. yeah. So, um, yeah, especially the first, I'd say, especially the first four to five days, it was just back to back, constant like that. Um, and then they they'd start a, a different type of testing on you, more aptitude based, and but it, it was funny because uh, it was. Most people I've never met this 
44 dudes. I knew one bloke and there was all different, different types. Like you got the, the blokes for the, the full show muscle, Adonis mm. sort of dudes. And mm. some of them, to be honest, just couldn't, couldn't cop it. Like I don't, they probably used to training and smashing in all the protein and all that. And there was one bloke there. He's a, he's a big boffin. Probably, probably about your size, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. <laughs> and he kept, um, Kept mouthing off. Like, there's every sort of personality as you can imagine. Yeah, it's like, there's no fucking way I'm leaving this. Uh, the only way I'm doing is they fucking drag me on a stretcher, blah blah blah. And it's like, okay, mate, right oh. And yeah, after even after the first day, he was lying on his stretcher, and he's and what one of the boys because we're all trying to help each other get through it. It's like, mate, come on, help, get up. We'll help you out, grab your stuff, and and he was like. No, I'm out and pull pull the old sleeping bag up over his head, and that was him done. So, <laughs> yeah, even even after, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Like even in the first couple of days, it was just bikes dropping off. They just couldn't, that, yeah, right. Couldn't really just not up to the tempo or cop it. And and after the first day, like the super super fit blokes, it, you all sort of get leveled out to a point because everyone's just wrecked. Just, so you, you just go through the motions. Yeah. Is there any firearms or anything? Any like gas training or yeah, they, they, yeah. They put you in so, the tent. So, and gas so like out. I said, it was the first four day. The different sorts of activities. Like uh, one was our our rehab. They used to call it a rehab swim. They'd, I don't know if you spent much time in Goulburn, but that place is freezing, Cold. Like, <laughs> ridiculous. And yeah, they threw us on a bus at six a.m. one morning, drove us out there for a rehab swim, and um, all lined up in our a little dick stickers because we had to wear them. We weren't allowed to wear boardies. And, <laughs> but you yeah. would have done that at Kapuka. Yes. Dick stickers and the, yes. that fucking hat with the flap, the, the back flap, <laughs> French Foreign Legion. <laughs> the Legion yeah. hat, yeah. But, um, yeah, <laughs> so I, was, I was used to that to an extent. I, I would say I would say that the the whole army thing, it sort of it gave me a bit of that mindset yeah. too. Yeah. And the whole – for me, I wasn't the fittest dude there. I wasn't the strongest dude there. But I was, I was just, I wasn't. Didn't matter what they did. I wasn't just gonna give it, up. Just like, did it. Yeah. From, it, I don't know if it's stubbornness, but it was just. I'm here to do something, and I'll finish it. If if they don't want me, they don't want me. And but I'm still gonna. Like there were times during the week, like the stretcher carry, that was that was honestly the. That was probably the hardest thing I did. That was that was see the, the exercise you all day. Then you you go out. Like, there's two stretches. You get allocated your spots. They put dummies on, and then just to be assholes, they threw like weights and stuff on top. So you you taught it's ridiculously mm. heavy, and that was just marching around, and it went for seven hours, and the blokes just collapsing over and over. But they let us stop on a couple of times, I think, to have a drink. But we went. It was just it felt like forever. He just went into his own. You shut out. Try getting rid yeah, of the pain yeah, and, and just, like. just kept stomping, <laughs> you know. And um, yeah, that that was tough. And it, it yeah it went for a total of seven hours. I was, it was past the level of exhaustion, and you just you just kept going. And um, we were following silent sticks for the last few hours. I didn't even realise we'd actually been walking around in the bloody circle on. for the last few because we just sat out of it, you know. But um, yeah, I'll go back to that swim because that's a quite entertaining story. <laughs> and Anyway, we're all lined up, and it's shaking. There's just frost all over the side. Like there's just it's free. It'd be minus whatever it was, and um, 
they're all like, okay, so we're going to do some rehab because we know you're hurting. And you jump in and I'm sure you know, and a lot of people be able to relate to this, when you jump into that, that cold of water, you, your lungs just close up. It's like, ah, oh, shit, you can't breathe. And, and then, yeah, so we did that and then we had to put in teams of two, had to push like pig iron weights across the pool yeah, as yeah, a yeah. race and because it's so cold, you're, you're struggling to get enough air in by the time your mate gets up and there was there was lots of different exercises like that but to go back to where you were so the first four days like another one we dragged a hill full of a, a tractor full of sorry a trailer full of tractor tires up a hill <laughs> leopard crawling and they're quite creative with yeah, activities yeah. and running jerry cans up and down hills and tractor like huge tractor tire rolls through the bush and so the first four days I found was just just constant like that and you, you, you just – you went through it. Yeah, they're screaming, they're insulting, you know, they're um, – No political correctness. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so you finish the seven days. What, oh, what, no, sorry, man. I'll just quickly touch oh, on Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. Seven a drink. Um, so, yeah, so the first four or five days, I just, just absolutely smash it. And then um, then they, they'll try on aptitude testing. And, and one of the things was um, – yeah, they'll they'll get you to do. We'd had no combat training or anything, but you you you'd do like um sort of uh what with simunition you do run throughs and clearances of houses or you do and another thing was um they gave us a was an MP5 mm. like I'd never seen an MP5. Most people never seen them. They they they'd run you in gas masks all day and then um then turn up, do a strip and assemble. They showed you once to try and do it and shoot all these targets and different ranges. So it's it, they're then testing for aptitude and trainability, mm. and they they did the whole gas tent thing to see if you'd panic under stress, and it was, I think that was more for their enjoyment because yeah, it is. <laughs> mate, you, you go in and even with the gas mask on, it's that thick you can't see anything, and yeah, take it off, do the alphabet, don't throw up, don't yeah. Some blokes did we get you just you standing there and after you've done it. And you'd see the tent bulge, someone's wigged out yeah. inside of the tent and, <laughs> and someone run out. But, yeah, they, they did they, – there was a lot of aptitude testing after yeah, that. Yeah. And, and then they do the whole mind fuck with you during the week. They call you aside and do the interviews like, oh, you're, you're dog shit. You're not even going to be selected while you're here. And, yeah. so They say that to you? Yeah. Oh, they – yeah. 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 They, they keep calling me arrogant for some reason, I think. I don't, I don't know why, but some people probably – have an opinion on that, but it's um, <laughs> I think it's more to say I didn't appear to get rattled by what they were saying. Yeah, like, gotcha. And yeah, there there was lots of that. So there, and then we did the whole um, they teamed me up with a half Maori dude and for uh, aggression testing and just put us in, put your gloves on and see how you go. And so th- I think there's a lot of similar tests as they do. With, with say the special forces, I haven't been on them, but from what I've heard, so mm. but yeah, it's and the just the beastings and the carrot like it's after the first few days of being called everything, as you can, you sort of you can shut it out a little bit, but then they start playing the mind games. Like, what, what are you even doing here, mate? Mm. No, no one's even gonna get selected, little on you, but yeah, like I said, there was no way I was gonna give up if they don't want me at the end of it. I've, I know within myself, I've done it. So. Yeah. So how many did you start with and how many got to the end? It was 44 started, um, 10 finished the week. Sorry, 
14 finished the week and they selected 10 of us. Selected 10. Mm-hmm. And they do that all on the, what, the eighth day, I guess, seventh day, eighth day. Yeah, so they uh, – for me, I'm a sh- probably changed now, but, yeah, they – you, you know the last day, it's it's on day seven, so you, you sort of know it's finishing up, but they oh, grab your packs, that first pack march, dog shit, stomp you off into the bush, then you come out and they're all like congratulating you for finishing and that's a surreal feeling as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And they put on a feed and give you a couple of beers and I, from, yeah, they're still assessing you to see what sort of bloke you actually are because you might be super fit and pass selection, but if you're an arsehole... They, personality, they don't, yeah. It's a personality yeah. test. And then, yeah, you do that, and I think I had about three beers, felt like I had 400, <laughs> <laughs> So just because I was so buggered. And, um, yeah, the next morning you, you have to go back into the academy and you walk in the room to find out how you're going, and there was all of us standing there, the 14 of us had finished, and I was third called. I think one of the bloke come back and couldn't, his had his sonnies on, couldn't hide his tears. He was... Super unhappy, like he obviously been told he wasn't selected, and then the um, other one trying to hide it from poor old mate had failed. But yeah, super happy. <laughs> so, but yeah, walk in and they're all sitting there, and they do the the whole look. Everything we've said to you this week, it's it's um, it's sticks and stones. Basically, it's like we're just having a crack. See how you react. And I was like, yeah, hundred percent, I'm fine with it. Which in today's world doesn't doesn't really. Well, Sticks and stones doesn't exist it's anymore. Like, oh, it's like being offended is worse than someone stabbing <laughs> you these days. But um, yeah, and then they they told me how I'd been selected. So yeah, right. And how stage. was that? How was the? Mate, we we all everyone we all agreed when we went to KFC. Funnily enough, on the way home, <laughs> and got some crap food into us, and yeah, sitting there it was it was it was very surreal because you just been through a week of that, and now you're allowed to sit in an aircon room and eat crap food, but then there's the poor fellows who failed. And, mm. yeah, then it was um, back to Bankstown and sit and wait. Like, yeah, like I've just trained nine months every day for this and got selected. I'm stoked, but then they sort of made you wait. And, oh, yeah, um, just back to GD work. Yeah, and before they – well, then they have to prepare and work out when to run all the courses. And I couldn't tell you exact time. It was about six to nine months later that, that I actually – Started all the courses. Shit. Yeah, it was quite quite a amount of time. And during that time, obviously, I had to try and stay out of trouble. Yeah. Getting complaints to stop transfers. <laughs> there were – I actually got a call from one of the bosses over there. There were already a couple of issues I had. Gave me an earful. What are you doing over there? But, I mean, if you're a, if you're a cop on the street doing your job, you're mm. going to get complaints. It's just the reality. Yeah. If you if – yeah. you, uh, not taking a backward step, doing what you need to to deal with these. There's just complaints coming all the time. Yeah, and that that's what I'd say is a big problem with the the police force today is a complaint system and the zero support of the poor cops. Yeah, yeah. Look at Raptor Thirteen. <laughs> he knew, it, yeah, he knew how to get himself a complaint. <laughs> that fellow didn't. <laughs> he? Now you so six six to nine months later, you start your reinforcement cycle. Yep. As, you know, the boys would call it uh, in the SF world. Yep. Um, yes. how, how long is that? Is it just like a... So the, it's made up of different parts, but it's... Um, for the first six months, it's pretty much just back-to-back, bang, bang, bang. It, the whole thing takes about 12 months. Um, but the 
the first six months, say, is like your SWAT courses, so all your weapons courses. So we had to learn every weapons. Pl- they, you'd go back and retrain handgun. So everything you learned was not up to standard. So you'd do retraining on the handgun. And then it, at the time we had the the two shotties. So we had the 870, the pump action, and the Benelli semi-auto. Great fun to shoot. Mm. The drills on it are horrendous. And and the whole time you, you're learning, you're being – I remember when I first turned up in the office, they do like a little introduction and all super nice. and like, oh, this, this is sweet. But then as soon as the boss walks out, they just, they're back in here. So it's back being treated like a piece of shit again. And I always thought, oh, passing selection. It's like, oh, sweet. So I'm sort of in. It's, nah. My mate Gus was actually in the course before mine. He'd been selected. And he always said, mate, <laughs> like, because I kept ringing him, saying, man, when are we starting? When are we starting? But be careful what you wish, wish for because it's going to be, it's going to be a long 12 months. And it's true. The courses were way longer and harder than the actual selection week. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, like like I was saying, all the weapons courses, all the shotties, we'd learn the M sixteen as well, then the the M four, the um, MP fives, and we had the UMP forties. Yep, yep. So use the same. It's it's just like a more modern version of the MP fives, more plastic, but so easy to shoot. You could teach teach your kids to do it, you know. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so every sort of weapons platform, then we'd go into the vehicle operations, and that's probably the most fun I've had in in the tier of vehicle stops and stuff like that. Like, that's that that's fun. Like, we do we do vehicle stops on the worst, like the bikies and all that, and you, you hit them in teams. Like, you'll have your two, your two big four drives and then your fast car, and you're, you're ramming them off the road and – Shooting tear gas in the cars and yeah 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 and, and then on that course you're also learning all the motorcade training because we do all of the stuff for the VIPs like the visiting presidents and all of that and then all your training on the uh, armored vehicles and ballistic shields and then we do a a bushcraft course so like uh yeah obviously just operations in the bush like nav and like uh, fighting in. Bushland areas, yeah, yeah, yeah. So bit of infantry tactics, infantry tactics, yeah, mate. And yeah, so we do all all of that. So for six months, it's it's back to back comprehensive, and it's just it's draining because not only you're learning everything every day, um, you then have to know everything they've taught you. You'd be, I remember falling asleep on the train on the way home trying to read it all because the next morning, or you're on the firing line, you didn't know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be doing push-ups and bindies or leopard crawling through puddle just for their own entertainment, you know. But so it was it was a massive it was a massive commitment, but it was yeah. I I loved it. I wanted to be there. Yeah. And, and you became really tight with everyone on the course. Yeah. All the boys. And how many how many guys are on this course? Well, there was the the ten the ten of us. The ten from yep. And by the time I think in the first month or two we lost another couple of blokes yeah right or injury or just fail just failed yeah just weren't weren't what they wanted or failed cqb's the big course that's like moe that's another couple of weeks and then the cqb sort of the big one you have to pass that and yeah that goes for a, a full month and that sort of culminates all the other all the weapons platforms and everything into that i will say just quickly the um 
this, we, we would learn a weapons platform and then we like do a stress shoot on that. And that, that was, that was full on. That was awesome. I, I, at the time it was just, fuck me, this is full on. But yeah, I loved it as well. What was the stress shoot? Uh, I remember, even from the, it, it sort of set the precedent, even the handgun, like a, you, you think handgun's not that big a course, but the, They'd be they'd run they'd run us in our respirators, our gas masks, yeah. up and down the fire stairs. They'd be making us do chin ups in the gym with a respirators, like run to exhaust, and then you're running lights out range. And then you had certain all these different targets, like sh- shoot and no shoot targets. There'd be strobe lights going off. There'd be smoke. There'd be death metal music going. On. And then and then as you're on the line, told to engage targets, they'd be cracking. Rounds like shotties behind you, yeah, yeah, right. And stunnies going off, like it was. The instructors were getting a lot of enjoyment out of it, but it it, it taught you that everything you learnt, you need to be able to do that under pressure. Mm. And they were shooting no shoot target. You shoot the wrong target, that's a hostage site. That's instant fail. So all of, all of that on every weapons platform. It was it was good. It was intense, but it's definitely, I think, a, a good thing that needed to be done. Of course, of course, and you know. I'm sure over your career in the TAU, all that training comes into play. Mm. Well, it, yeah, definitely. It, it does, yeah. So you finish your, your reinforcement cycle. How's the emotions after that? You're like, what do you get? Is yeah. there, is there so, a badge so or something? After, or you, you, uh, after you pass CQB, which is – so that's all that's all the, the SWAT courses. Mm. Then you, you do like a, a black ceremony. So you bring all your family in and the boss – Presents you with the, the black cap and the overalls, and you're all stoked and happy. And then you you can serve on jobs in a limited capacity, but then you still have a, the next six month of what the counterterrorism courses, which is above and beyond what a lot of other SWAT courses do in in other countries, and not in Australia. The other jurisdictions mm. do the same, but like that's water operations, that's helo training, that's um. I, th- I think actually the bushcraft was in that. So, uh, and then you've got an active shooter and you've got all of these extra courses and qualifications that say other SWAT teams don't have, which, which makes us effective as counterterrorism operators. Yeah. So, yeah, after, so even though you finished, you know, you got all that. And then um, everything was culminated with the, the survival swim, which was from uh, Balmoral to. To man, manly at night in your in all your gear, and that that was I think that was only a few days after that that poor like the navy diver got yeah Porter Gelder yeah yeah the bull shark yeah it was in the same sort of area and that, that's <laughs> known for bull sharks I mean yeah. you're dressed in in all all, all black. black with your black flippers <laughs> just looking like a giant you're, seal you're jumping off the the jetty at on dusk right when the sharks it was it was silly. But um, yes, swam for hour after hour, and, and yeah, once once you'd done that, we'd all done, and it was sweet. That's it. Yeah, right. And then, uh, what's the process from there? You, no more like well, you're just going straight to getting posted to. Well, so you're all, you're always attached to the unit, but at you're, you're called a not so a not a new operator trainee. So it's a good way of saying you're not to you yet. So we weren't allowed to eat in the meal room. We weren't allowed to talk to operators, blah, blah, blah. Oh, so yeah, right. We're attached to the unit, but not. Not. <laughs> nice way of saying prove yourself. But then even when we were trained, we still had to prove ourselves. We were still the shit kickers and mm. work your way up. But 
we were trained to do whatever we needed to. Yeah, so that was, uh, so say, 2010, 9? 2009, you fully qualified? Yeah, yeah it would have taken yeah, four months. I think. And then, is it, again, is this all out of Bankstown? No, this was is in, yep. oh, I'm not even allowed to mention the location. Yeah. Even though it was mentioned in the Daily Telegraph, but Sydney, in the Sydney It's in office. Sydney, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's in Sydney. Where, where the TAU operate out of. But yeah, so it was attached to that Sydney office. And a lot of our training was at Golden, but a lot of our training was at um, SFTF. Yeah. Which I don't even know if I'm allowed to say where that is, even though you Google Maps it. But yeah, out of the Special Forces training facility. Oh, out the Army Special Forces? Yeah. Everyone knows that. I know. I know. Yeah. I'll even say, I'll swear this fuck. <laughs> I know. I've said but, yeah. it. Fuck. It's all over the internet. Mate. <laughs> uh, here. It's all over the internet. Well, a lot of the things I had demanded from me were all over the internet. But yeah. Yeah. yeah so the the military were, they obviously have the money and resources and we don't necessarily. So yeah, the, of and, course. And we, we would work in around their courses, of course, but they, they were very generous. And, and their facilities were, oh, mate, like, that's all brand new. That was all brand new at yep. that stage too. Yep. So, you know. yep. And their facilities are, yeah, top shelf. And they, yeah. they they would always, to their credit, help us out when they could. Like, we, we would, we had our own training facilities, again, not disclosed area, mm. but, like, you wouldn't compare them. Like, they're, Completely different levels, so yeah, the military helped us out in a lot of their training facilities. And would you use that their uh, facilities regularly, as often as we could? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Gotcha. It, it, it even because um, we did do training exercises together. There were um, times when they offered us even to send some operators to train with them. And yeah, so I have a I have a great respect for the tag guys and. And they'd, they'd always help us out with training facilities mm. where they could. Yeah. Did you ever do like um, cross-combined training with with them? We did, yeah. yeah. Well, there used to be more than there is now. I think that may be another thing I'm not necessarily allowed to talk about. But, um, yeah, there were large-scale operations in the past we have trained, trained mm. together and for large-scale terrorist attacks. So if there is – a large scale terrorist attack. We we can operate together, and well, we have operated exactly, together. Yeah. So, so that that's the purpose for it. Yeah. Well, it's more of a capability if you joined a whole bunch together. Exactly, more right. people. Um, so over your, you know, 2014. That's obviously when Lind happens. In between that time, you you you're out of Sydney. You're dealing with bikies and kicking down doors, and you know, it's, it's funny. I um. Big reason to go into the tea. Used to get out of Bankstown, but I found myself back, back in there. Recently, yeah, you know, yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Predominantly, a lot of our work was out was out there. We did. Um, basically, the TU we used and called upon when anyone had a weapon that were more than happy to use it on the cops. So we, we actually do a, a big part of the courses that I didn't talk about was the less lethal training. So we're obviously trained to a high level to to take someone's life, to, to kill them if we need be. But also a lot of our training is to do that only as a last resort. So we have a lot of less lethal training with a lot of different options that we use. Again, I'm not allowed to talk about some mm. of those options, but um, anyone with any common sense would know what we're using. and um, Especially the crims because they've copped them heaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they know exactly oh, what you're using. Oh yeah, my specialty and go-to. I I did enjoy the taser at 
It always <sighs> it always had its desired effect. Yeah. It wasn't oh, actually that's in your book, isn't it? What was your nickname? Oh, Sparky. Sparky, that's it. Yeah, I think they, <laughs> they, they came about. We were doing a job on, um, I think, two standover men, heavy hitters apparently, were coming back to do it as an extortion job and they were coming back to an address to demand money off someone and and we had a undercover vehicle in position to react to that and when these two blokes turned up, they've – They've seen our driver dressed in civvies and they're sort of doing the whole guns thing, going to shoot you a piss off, so bailed out. Anyway, I was in a four-wheel drive around the corner and they've uh, knocked on the front door. That was their cue to go in and punched in. And I think I was – yeah, I was actually driving. So I yep, jumped out. They're both standing there sort of looking, going, what the hell is this big V8 four-wheel drive pulling up at Mac 1? And they've um, – one of them's – but he reached down his pants – Assumed it's a gun, so I've on the, on the full sprint, crack, cracked him with the taser. The other one's turned and started running up the driveway. His old mate's dropped, and he's doing the old reaching down his pants. He's running away too, so another few steps, boom, on the ground, and taser on him, and I was uh, drive-stunning, so I had the two blokes being tasered at the same time. So, yeah, <laughs> good job. But, uh, <laughs> that's how Sparky started. <laughs> that's absolutely fucking uh oh, mate, it, that's yeah. a classic it is so yeah again so back you're you're doing multiple jobs as a as an operator it was there any anything that was i guess risky where you thought fuck this can go bad yeah no, well, another big job we we're involved in which i imagine there'll be there is interest in is a malcolm naden job yes uh, and there was obviously a lot of media criticism of the police response and call the army in and the the normal go to you know mm. it's like oh the army would have got him in in a week call the army in the way the control system works is so for you to be deployed mm. you are under the control of the local superintendent so mm. the local boss of that area then has control of the TAU and he's ultimately he or she sorry is the ultimate decision maker. So in relation to that that job, we weren't given control. We weren't we didn't say, well, this is what as we're the ones trained in it. We got mm. we got endless amount of military dudes and everyone like T E blokes was vast experience. And we would have I would strongly suggest known how to do that job a lot better and done it and had it sorted a lot quicker. But going back a step, there was uh I think the, the media was saying six or seven years on hand, but TAU were never really involved at, at that, that stage. Um, the, the the detectives who were running the operation came up with a plan because he was, he was by that stage, he was all the way down. He lost in Neowendock and he, he just hit all the, There's lots of um, hobby farmers and stuff down there. They just go visit their farm once a month or something mm. and, they leave all their guns and all their food, and so he'd just be hitting them all the time. And they came up with a plan to put a tracker in his uh, sleeping bag, so that got ripped off. And then they've the tracker's out in the middle of the bush somewhere. So it's like, all right, let's call it to you. And initial response was, I don't know who made this decision, but it was only two operators and a dog squad officer and a boss running it. 
I don't make decisions. I can question them as much as I like, but two blokes and a doggy. Anyway, they um they're tracking through the bush and they're using like I don't know if you've seen old old school uh, animal docos, but they're they're using the old antenna thing, like holding the shit up. This is the sort of technology we got, <laughs> and and a headset like we're wearing now, and it's beep it beeps as it gets closer. Mm. So we've got our Howzo operator out front, then we got Brad, then we got Shawnee the doggy, and they're getting closer and closer. And this this bush, man, like it was I've spent a lot of time in the bush, I've spent a lot of time seeing out lots of different mm. places, and it's just so thick. Like it's full blown rainforest. So thick that you you get lost, like separated really quick. Anyway, they they've got into a point and they just get right on dark and it's starting to ping. So they're like Oh, the bosses end up going, let's send another six blokes. Like, they're getting close. They found a big cache of weapons he had stashed in a oh, PVC yeah. thing real close. And Anyway, we, we went shooting up there at night and we turned up and the boys are all in their, in their camo and pulling leeches off their ball bags. And like, it was like, Jesus, boys. And I was like, yeah, you wait. And um, the, we were told next morning to be there at uh, – 6.30 and we'll head out early and I don't know the exact management decision that occurred but um, assuming whoever was running it was pissed off that we were there, they only wanted the small team, apparently less noise. Anyway, and they'd sent the three of them out earlier. So we're like, are you serious? This is dog shit. So we, we jumped jumped in their four drives, pissed off, and hit all the fire trails and um, come back down pulling all the cam cream on, getting everything ready, start walking through the bush, and next thing you this this shot ring, and it's like bang, and you know as well as anyone a gunshot in, in the middle of the bush. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's like, oh, shit, what happened? And it took a while for Brad to get on air and, yeah, contact, I've been hit. And um, I go into it a lot more in, in the book, but uh, they, they were – as they've approached the camp, they, they couldn't exactly see where he was. And and Brad, he's still a mate of mine, I still talk to him. He's he's looking over, looking over at him through the sighting system. And um, and then he's seen something. And then he's turned and said to the doggy, he's like, oh, he, be quiet. As he's turned around, which obviously was aimed at his head, just gone whack, hit him right in the trap there. Oh, shit. So it just dropped him on his ass. But, yeah, obviously old mate Naden was aiming to take his head off mm. and it wasn't that far away. And then, yeah, he's gone down and then um, the boys, like, dragged him into it. They didn't know where it came from. No one knew where they shot had come from. They're in, like, a ravine. And um, and then we're trying to trying to get to them. Got crap comms, the bushes that thick. And we'd been given the wrong map datum. The the rains made it just calm down, and it's just fog, and it was just, it was, it was very frustrating, and it was desperate to get the boys. Like we knew Brad's there bleeding out, we can't get to them. Um, anyway, there, there was another team that was up in the Hilo, and they uh they came down. They also were told to be there at that time, which they weren't, and they managed to find them. And yeah, we got him out. We got him out on time, but um, yeah. And then from then, it was just out in that every every day. And reading the book, you'll be able to pick up on uh, the questionable decisions I mm. think were made. Like it was, 
if, if we'd been given autonomy, if we'd been given the right to do it and search and do what we wanted, as they are in, say, other jurisdictions overseas where, okay, this situation needs the SWAT team or the counterterrorism team to deal with this, then it would be resolved. But They command it as well. Not decisions made by untrained. Yeah, and and uh, you try not to criticise their decision. Reality is they're not they're not tactically trained, mm. and they're always going to err on the side of caution because every decision they make is going can get dragged over the coals. So they're like, oh, no, maybe maybe we shouldn't do that. And that that same, I would say, management paralysis is a term I used is later comes out at Lint. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's not the first and last time either. Can we uh, stop for a sec? Yeah, mate, yeah. Toilet, yeah, I'll fucking go grab a drink. <laughs> no, good. Mate, fucking awesome. Well, I'm telling you right now, awesome. Cool. Uh, where were we? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so hour and 40. Probably start cracking on with moving on to that day. That'll take us another 45 hours. No, no, no fucking chance. I'm telling you right now, that's what I said. Three hours will be. Yeah. And look how quick that's what I said there. Look, it just <clears throat> all right back. Um, yeah, mate. So we're just talking about the the paralysis of yeah. the command structure and their commanding and substage. Obviously, again, it just goes to show down the track. A lot of them. They're not tactically trained and they're making decisions on what you guys were doing out in the field. Yeah, ultimately the decision-making is is up to them. We have a, a tactical advisor and a negotiations commander who gives them suggestions, but ultimately the decision-making falls to them. And I think they're, they're doing like a tactical commander's course for them now since Lint, but yeah, prior to that, where we're under the complete control of the, the local boss. And yeah. That's just what happens. It's crazy. So old Malcolm's still out there. How's, yeah. How do you guys find him? Yeah, so, mate, for the next, I think it ended up being five or six months, it was just we're doing rotations. And he's just on foot going up and down the bush line just yep, from yep. down south all the way up to the fucking, up to Gloucester. and Mate, yeah, he's just living. Just living, living in I can talk about how he was doing it, but I'll, I might do it uh, the way the story goes. And also, anyway, so then it's just um, week on, week off, seven-day rotations. Obviously not great, but um, I also – I'll just throw in the, the little story I'm sure that some of the listeners will find amusing. It was um, – <clears throat> during that time I, I missed out on some of those rotations because I had my helo casting injury. Was um, well, that's in your book, isn't it? It's in the yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, one one of the things we do is we obviously do all the fast roping and stuff like that, but we do helo casting for water insertions and 
so we can do swim up assaults onto either boats or full like like navy seal stuff, but obviously nowhere near to that level. But <laughs> it, it's part of part of our um, capability. Anyway, so we'd, we're doing that. I was, I was still one of the younger blokes on the floor and I wasn't supposed to be scheduled for it. Got scheduled for it last minute, which was sweet. Uh, went out there and, yeah, chopper goes up. Well, it was off North Cronulla Beach, I think. It was up there and, yeah, go up in your stick, climb out, climb out on the skids while you're still real high, hold on to your little strop, that's all you got. And then the crew will give you the, the chop for when you jump in and, did a few of them. They were all good, dressed in our water, like just our um, wetsuits and had a little heads bottle on my vest here. All good. Did a few jumps. Uh, had a break, chopper refueled. Us being who we are, we stirred up the pilot going, come on, man, like, you see, you see you think with a bloody ride squad or something soft and- Fucking turn it on. Fucking turn, stirring him up <laughs> about going so slow and low. And he's like, you serious? Anyway- so he didn't go so slow or low after that. And um, before I went back up, I was in the second stick and my um, like my vest had two straps like, through the groin. One of them was snapped. I was like, oh, fuck it, it'll be right. I've got another one. Went back up, coming in, and by this stage, man, I was like, this is awesome. Like, how do we get paid to do this job? And and uh, coming in and the crew, he told us to get out, and we were still bloody high at this stage. And I'm like, Right, oh man. Anyway, jumped out. Was still felt like hundred meters up. We're a long way up. Coming in real quick. It was awesome. Mad buzz, mad rush, and um, still coming in quick and start slowing down a little bit. And I was looking at the crew at this stage, and he gives me the chop signal. I'm like, Wait, "You seeing what I'm seeing, man? Like you're fucking <laughs> serious? Like, we are still a long way up and going fast." Anyway, I'm one of the new bikes. So I'm no, I'm not going to argue. And, um, yep, just jumped off and um, and as because we were still going quite quick like forward and um, pretty high, I've uh, I've sort of, um, how do I say it? So my face has sort of come more towards the water and and as I hit the water, like I, knew, like I instantly felt something was wrong. Like I was like, bang, a massive head knock. I'm like, I'm, I'm nearly out here. And I was, I took every... Every amount of strength not to, to pass out because I knew what would happen. I'd, I'd go under, you know. So, and then I'm coming up, and then I was like, I was spitting blood everywhere. I was like, oh, okay, this is not good. And um, and then, yeah. So I'm still, and then I obviously I've spat a couple of mouthfuls of blood, and there's just blood everywhere in the water. I'm like, well, I'm not the friendliest bloke to a shark, and I don't really want one turning up. So I just had to start swallowing it. The water, the water police turned up on the the ribs and we jump in and they 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 like take us in closer to to the waves and then we swim in from there and and he's like one of the water police looked at me and he's like fuck man you're right and I'm like oh my yeah all good man I think I've just bitten my tongue or something just wiped my face didn't want him looking didn't want anyone to know about it you know and um jumped in started swimming through the breakers and one of the one of the boys was on the uh, sand and as I'm walking out through the the waves I'm like Fuck man, I think I've I think I've like, knocked out a couple of, and as I said, teeth. I was halfway through teeth two at my my two front Spit teeth out. <laughs> coming out and in my hand, and it and then I'm, I just looked in shock. I'm like bullshit, and then uh, he's bloody, he's looked at me, and then a wave's coming, just washed 
<laughs> me forward washing my teeth away, and then obviously you can imagine he just hit the sand, just rolling around, funniest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, later apologised, but I was like, well, you know what, mate, I would have done the same thing as you. But um, yeah, so what? What? Like then um, the the sergeant came over, the other boys, oh, what's going on? And uh, I opened my mouth, my front teeth are missing, and I've got all these holes in my tongue, and. And they're like, bloody hell, man. It's like, are you all right? And I'm like, well, I felt better, but, yeah, I'll be right. And um, I said to Sight, I said, mate, I've got to go back up again. Like, I have to I have to do this or I'll never get back on horse again. So um, what had actually happened was the with the Vesta Heeds bottle on impact with the water, it came up and smacked me yeah. a big red ring under me. And I'd, I ended up um, at the dentist, worked out, I put 13 full piercings. Like I, Oh, fuck. So I was lucky I didn't cut my tongue up, like, all the way through. And funnily enough, because it's your tongue, they don't really stitch it up at heel so quick and knocked out two teeth. A couple of my moles the back are all cracked and got two veneers. But at the time, I was adamant I had to go back up and they're like, well, it's on you. You get back up if you want. I ended up doing it. It was another big one. Still bloody hurt when I hit the water. Had to hide it from the um, pilot and the crewies and that because they never would have let me do it. But, yeah, I went back up and did it and – would be able to do it again. So anyway, back to our story. I was a, a lot of my because I went through full nine months of surgeries. I was mm. full knocked out implants, and so I missed out on some of the Naden deployments. But when I did, when I was out there, like I love being in the bush. It was like we were rained on nearly the whole time. There was it was like full on like Vietnam movie holding your yeah yeah above your head. Like up <laughs> oh, your Forrest throat. Gump. <laughs> yeah, rain's coming in sideways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it, and it just honestly rained every day, ticks and leeches, and if you ever got any sleep, you're waking up stuck to all your yeah, sleeping bags, oh, all yeah. the blood, every, like, <laughs> all the snakes and shit out there. But no, I, I, I still loved it. We went up in the chopper a few times. That was good. But, yeah, the, I'll um, – so the the actual rest, I wasn't there, but um, they'd, they'd wired up a, a hut and he'd gone in and set off all the cameras The uh, motion detectors and yeah, 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 yeah. The boys went out late at night and surrounded it, and he just gave up, didn't he? Well, no, he didn't give up. Did he? But he's he's gone out the back of the hut. Uh, one of the boys, ch- he couldn't see him because they're all on the MVGs and stalked in. Didn't know they. He felt someone was there, but didn't know they were there. And then he's um, he's one of the boys challenged him. Police get on the ground, and he's turned and run back into the hut, and then back out the front door and. Luckily, he didn't pick up his rifle because yeah, I'd strongly suggest it would have ended very differently. And, yeah, just crash tackled and arrested and then the doggy come in and ate half his leg. But, yeah, he, he was he was arrested there and then. Mm. But, yeah, he was he was telling Gus that he, he literally, like everyone, some of the media crafted him as some, like, uh, master bushman. and But he... He was saying that he, he could sleep in the rain anywhere and all he'd do is just go out with one of his rifles, see a, see a bird or an animal, shoot it and cook it. And But, yeah, he, he just got so climatised, like he could sleep out in the cold and the rain anywhere. Yeah. It affect him. He was, he was a, <clears throat> sort of on the move a lot. I think towards the end where he slowed down a bit and was just starting to hit huts, like maybe he was – I don't know if he's getting sloppy. We've been out in the bush by himself for six years. Probably fucking get he's sloppy. I think a top psychiatrist said he'd be not speaking English or anything anymore because he's been by himself for so by long. By himself, yeah. 
and one one of the huts he uh, he broke into, and there was an internet on. And, oh, was there? Yeah, and oh, um, shit. Y- you'd imagine being on the run with you know everyone after you. That'd be the first thing you Google. What's going on with you? But he was straight on to the the incest porn and the was he the bestiality? No and way, shit. straight onto yeah. lobster tube. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so obviously the older... Fucking hell. Yeah, the skippy jokes and brawled animals. And <laughs> be a bit worried out of here. But. Um, so, moving on. <clears throat> Actually, before we start, start on that date was... Uh, what's his name? Fucking Shitbag Monus. I'll call him Shitbag Monus. I'm wrong with that. Shitbag Monus. Was, was he on the radar for you guys? No, well, I never extent. heard him. No. I never heard his name. Like we have the whole counterterrorism and the the joint counterterrorism task force, which yeah. is like all the the ASIO, like our our top counterterrorism blokes, the Feds, Feds yeah. all all of them. They're on, and they give us regular briefings about what's going on. But I, I'd never heard his his name come up. And and since nine eleven, and we'd had all the other, we'd been doing quite a bit of CT work. There was that that large. Um, a lot of search warrants we'd done only a month or two before. There was the the two counterterrorism sh- coppers who were stabbed down in uh, Melbourne. Down that yeah, one. yep. A I've had uh, I've had him on. Oh, have you? Yep, uh, yeah. Officer B. B. Officer B had him on. Yeah, good guy. Still in the feds. Oh, is he? He's still a fed. Yeah, still a fed. So yeah, I was down in Melbourne with the Supercross. And we caught up for a for a podcast. You have to have a listen. Yeah, well, for sure. Yeah, cool. Yeah, well, there was that, and um, yeah, there was there was a there was a large pod we knew of that were that were active with some returned ISIS fighters, and then they've been training up lots of others. So we, it was Operation Appleby, I think. If you anyone wants to look at it, but there was a lot of them, and we've been doing a lot of CT work on that. But I didn't, from my memory, I'd never seen his name come up, and um, but we. The the threat level was at its highest. Where it was, it felt like it was imminent to us that something was going to happen on on that actual morning. If you're happy to start talking about that, yeah, definitely. De- well, obviously, <clears throat> forty eight hours prior to the siege, there was a call into the hotline. Oh, yeah, call into the hotline r- raising concerns about uh, the content of uh, Monus's website. Yeah, well, so obviously he was indicating um, that he was going to not do something, but do something. Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of alarm bells ringing on him, isn't there? <laughs> like h- how many charges he was on bail for? Um, on bail and just was given a court notice. But but even on his social me- media, mm. he, he proclaimed to be member of ISIS. Like there's endless amount of amount of things that would come to mind, and I don't I don't know the process for that. And reality is that the coronial inquest that was close court. As mm. far as ASIO and that, so don't really know what what they said, and yeah, I I I can't believe this day and age there's someone walk around with that many charges and that much intel on him for. And this terrorism. is not yeah, this is not like the he, first he's time. He's blatantly either. proclaiming yeah, yeah, and he's still out there yeah. So, but on our level, we can only do what we can do. So, yeah, I, I, he didn't even come on yeah. my radar. 
that's it. And I guess on your level is going back to that reactionary. That's what you guys are, just a reactionary force. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely definitely kick off on that day. Were you rostered on for that day? I was actually rostered on for that day, and part of our unit, what they do um, is a mandatory well check, which is with a police shrink psychologist, sorry. We, every few months they you go and do what's a well check, and it's a pretty much a box-ticking thing that cops do just to – to, to make out they're doing something for you. And and um, I was unlucky enough to be on that on the morning. And it, I've spoken about that more in my book, but um, we'll crack into what happened on the day. Anyway, so I've come back in the office after after the world check and there's instantly something felt different. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? There was a neg- negotiator sprinting through the office you don't see negotiators running, let alone sprinting. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck's going on here? And um, one of the sergeants, one of the boys, he's gone, no duff, CT job, Martin Place, get your shit, we're going. I'm like, oh, fuck. So it's happening. Yet. Yep. So just bang, grabbed my gear, went went down to um basement, donned all my gear straight up and straight into the armoured vehicle and – Hammered down to um, hammered down to Martin Place, and w- when we we pulled up, it was on uh, the, down the bottom, so on Elizabeth Street. And pulling up, there's cops everywhere, there's people everywhere, there's cameras everywhere, jumping out, and it's still still trying to just process everything. Like, mm. like is this, this out of the this, bear cat as well? Yeah, out of the bear yep. cat. Yep, and it's it's like is this is this legit? Like, what's going on? Like trying to get more info and. And then it was just coming in by the by the second we pulled up and there was one of the bosses there and and um, my my sergeant who ended up being my sergeant throughout the whole day he was there had a chat to me and told me what the intel we had was man Middle Eastern appearance backpack bomb shotgun taken hostages in in the cafe so that sounds legit straight up so okay fuck then we. GDs were clearing out all the pedestrians and the civvies and um, and then all the cameras been told, of course, they're there pretty quick. Right across get, from Channel 7. I know. Fuck. Well, some would say he picked his location he, pretty well. Yeah, exactly. And, point. <laughs> and anyway, so then we move up. We moved up closer on – but on Martin Place, but we were we were still like down the bottom, so it was deemed too far away to react. So we we went up and cut through all these fire escapes and everything. Came pulled up on Phillips Street, and there's like a truck loading bay there, and it was like a good base to to run base for operations, and that's where we where we were for quite a while with very limited intel coming in, very limited updates. Um, it was quite frustrating. All the Sierra team, the sniper teams were – we had three separate teams up, but um, they had very limited vision into the cafe, like the the windows, the way they are, not only – not necessarily stencil, but they're in the, it's only small parts of the cafe you can actually see into. They were providing updates on what they saw, but but uh, old mate was – he was hiding himself well. He wouldn't expose himself. So my – my uh, shield man, Paulie Mad Dog, as he's in the book, he's 
he lives up to his name. But um, anyway, we're like went to the side and was like, just quickly. Yeah, <clears throat> he was the bloke at uh, your book launch, but wasn't allowed in. That was him. Yeah. Yeah, yep. that was that. because the police said no current serving TAU allowed. Yeah, on or off duty, directed not to attend. That that rattled me and more seem because mm. I mean the, the way I've written the book and it's it's not just my story; it's their story. Yeah, exactly. The TAU, exactly. TAU story. So yeah, yeah, that 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 was bullshit. That yeah, upset me. That, that that was like the final straw that really pissed me off. Anyway, well. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, so approach the sergeant saying, look, we, we need to see inside here. We've got no intel coming in. This is this hostage. Here. This is a dude with a, a gun, potentially a backpack bomb. We, and he's like, yeah, go forward. So we, we actually approved it. We pushed forward and um, don't know how much experience you got with the ballistic shields, but they got like a viewing port in. Mm. So we pushed forward to the first window and looking through that and we can see in and, we see a number of hostages. We we see the we see the first two windows. So there's like the the hostages holding up the the, the black flags, the Islamic writing on it, which has been late obviously later identified. But ISIS <laughs> have used that exact flag. That was obviously a contentious point. Oh, he's not he's not a terrorist. He's just a madman. But from everything I saw and witnessed that day, it ticks every box for me. The inquest uh, concludes it too. They do. They do. But um, anyway, so that we're looking in and seeing all, and there were these these hostages, like these people were rattled. They were just very upset. Some were visibly shaking, crying, and just couldn't see him. Then all of a sudden, um, he appears from like the left, and um, he's instant. When whenever he moved anywhere, the whole because Paulie and I managed to look in for a good twenty five minutes, right, and. Whenever we saw him, he'd always have someone, a hostage, to his front. He'd always duck down under the windows and he'd always put the – he'd have the shotgun in the back of someone's head the whole time. And um, anyway, as 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 we're watching him, he's walking around. He's just terrorising people. He's a piece of shit. But I knew what we needed to do was get as much intel as we could. So we, we, we studied the shoddy. Just kept staring at shoddy. Tells a pump action. It was sawn off. Um, worked all worked out that. Fed it back to the to the sergeant. You fed it to the bosses and and the bomb. The backpack. Obviously, the backpack is was always the main concern. Like one dude with a shotgun. All those hostages. Like it doesn't. We're not. We're not too worried. We can deal with that. It's not. It's not something that worried us too much. But it was always the bomb, and I looked in and I looked on that backpack for a good twenty five minutes, and everything about it told me. So you could see clearly. I could see the see the backpack. It was full. It later came out that it was uh, full of a big stereo speaker, mm. and I could actually I saw the wires coming out out of the bottom. So I'm like. A large backpack. A dude is telling us he has a bomb with wires hanging out. Admittedly, earlier in the day, he had said there were other bombs in certain areas, which I think that many, many hours later came out that they weren't. But from what I saw, the way he was acting, from from every bit of information I'd had before, like we'd even had information days with, um, is it Sower, the 
combat engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, IRR back. Uh, no, it would be slower then. Yeah, 2014, sorry. Yeah, so, yeah. So, and I mean, we had ex-combat engineers in our unit. And so everything everything I saw, the way he was acting, the way he, um, I, I 100% believed well, you got to assume that he had a, he had a bomb. He said it, so you got to assume it. Said it. I saw what looked like a bomb. Yeah, and and even well after I left left, I still believe he had a bomb. Mm. So that that's that's where the problem was, and and um, the the fact that also that he's he's walking around and always had a hostage in front of him with a the shotgun with his finger on the trigger to to the back of their either their back or to their head. There's a lot of. Um, a lot of people saying, "Why didn't the sniper just just take him out? Why wasn't there just a sniper shot straight away?" So, from my perspective, of I'm a trained sniper as well, but anyone with sort of any knowledge in this area knows that if if you if you shoot someone without shooting, say the the apricot, the dual oblong guard, mm. or the top of the spine, and incapacitate them straight away, then that the body's natural reaction is to pull pull the trigger. So. You shoot him, bang! He's instantly killing a hostage. So that that then becomes an issue. Then there's the whole as management believed as much as we did was that there's a bomb. So you shoot him, and common practice then was dead man switch, wasn't it? So shoot him. Either you don't kill him, and he still activates the bomb. You've killed every single hostage in there. You shoot him. There's a dead man switch. Boom! You've killed every single hostage. So. For me, and I saw him the way he was acting in a very controlled manner. He wasn't. He didn't. He wasn't acting like a madman. He was. He was sort of on top of. He knew everything he was doing, and in a very controlled manner, he seemed well aware when he was anywhere near a window. He never exposed himself mm. to it. I'm. Sh- I'm sure he. He knew about the Channel Seven with the putting the hostages there with the flags. And, so he, he knew he knew he was in a very controlled manner. For, yeah, to right. Me. yeah, right. So yeah, there's there's a lot of speculate. Oh, I should have just should have just seen him. Should have, could have, would have. Yeah, all, all in hindsight. All in hindsight. Yeah, hindsight's hindsight's a bitch. But I mean, it, everyone's always happy to have an opinion. Of course, there, man, of or, course. And, and in hindsight, and and what we later found out, it wasn't a bomb. But I can't treat it like it. it no, exactly, exactly. Like, it, like if if it if if. In my book, despite hierarchy and the decisions I made, I was I actually tried to be tried to be fair to them, and which was difficult at times. They've already been dragged over the coals, but um, but I, I sort of I remember us as a group we're talking. It's like, well, they send us in, and he's got a bomb, like he's going to kill everyone. So for me, in the earlier stages, I could see what was going through their heads. They they send us in. They try having a sniper shot blow up. If they treat it like it wasn't a bomb and it was a bomb, they've killed every single mm. one. And you're talking 18 hostages, man. You're not talking a couple of people. That isn't if, – if they treat it like it wasn't a bomb, that would have been That's it, far yeah. big yeah. disaster. Yeah. Like it, it, yep. So, yeah, management decisions I'll defend earlier in the day. Um, but anyway, so – uh, we we were there observing him. We 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 saw him for a good twenty five minutes, half an hour, and traumatizing. I remember seeing him with Louisa Hope, and um, so he actually. I remember one of the young blokes, Jared, was his name, and um, he kept 
he kept standing over him, pulling the shotgun at him, screaming at him. And I think he was he was being used to ring the cops and do the whole mediation thing. And um, yeah, the poor bloke was uh, shaking. He was he was he was rattled, but he was still he was still uh, doing well. He was doing the phone call, and then old mate terrorist. I don't even like saying his name to be honest. He, he's walked out of out of scene, and he's there giving us gun signals and pointing to where he was. And that's when um, the terrorist has seen us, and he's um, he's locked eyes with us, and he's like he just bangs straight down on his knee and. Pull the shotgun up. So was it the first time he's seen? That's the first time he saw seen us. You so he wasn't up. aware that yep. we were observing him that whole time. Um, yeah. So anyway, he's seen us, and yeah, he's instantly just go, "Oh shit, they're there!" Grab, grab poor Louisa, shot into her head, screaming, and we're like, "Okay, we got to bug out." I think yeah, there was even a letter come up on the window saying, "Leave now, or you'll obviously be shot." So we had, we had to bug out, and. Through observing and seeing all these hostages for as long as I did it, it it, um, it made it more personal for me because it, it wasn't just another job. They weren't just hostages. I'd seen these poor people in this terrified, terrified state, and and when I saw him doing what he was doing with the gun to them, terror like all every part of me just wanted to go in and deal with it, but I wasn't allowed to. So. That that makes it makes it hard, and then throughout the day, the hostages desperately wanted us to go in, but but we wanted to go in just mm. as much, and and all all of us completely, as I said before, we hundred percent believed it was a bomb, and from any of our training, believed that we were going to die, but we still wanted to go in on the chance of saving some of them. So it was a long. It was a long 16 hours. Yeah, so during that time, um, Cockhead put his, got his flag up. He also demanded to speak to the Australian Prime Minister live on radio, uh, which obviously was fucking rejected. Um, it was. One thing he did ask was about getting the street lights turned off, and that took over an hour. And I... Like if you were to turn that switch off right now, up you know to to your right there to turn the lights off, it's pretty quick. What, what what's the why does that take so long? And that would have I guess benefited you guys because darkness is your friend with night well, vision. Exactly right because we're in silhouette. This is actually another thing I'm not allowed to talk about. Funnily enough, but my understanding is I've never turned off, and it was it was the Christmas tree lights mm. um, and street lights. So. Yeah, there were lots, lots of ups and downs throughout the day. There were lots of different hostages coming out, but um, and I'll, I'll just say quickly on that: I've never seen, I've seen people through policing career in all states of shock or t- being terrified or any, but these, I've never seen people in such a just a complete shock. That like they they were just completely overwhelmed, and everyone at the hostage I saw was was in that that state. So yeah, throughout the day, diff- lots of different hostages came out, and to our point, um, what the yeah, the, there were a lot of. I'll, I'll, so the streetlights, I can't talk about it on a tactical level, but for us, it makes sense. Like yeah, you've got you're blacked out. The, night the, light, the light switches, are go- the lights are going off. We cannot see anything inside, 
Mm. Any, anyone with any sort of knowledge knows that if it's dark inside and it's light outside, they can see you. So exactly, we wanted it off as much as he did. I don't know what happened. I'd, I'd, that's for the bosses to. I'm not sure if it ever got answered, but that was one of the many things that day that was that was frustrating. Yeah, yeah, obviously breakdown, breakdown with the command. And again, that comes back to the command structure not being qualified yeah, in tactical well, operations. Exactly, and there were bosses after bosses there. There were, there were many people who could have made decisions. There was a lot of criticism too for the um, psychiatrist, the high-profile psychiatrist, which I won't name him. I don't think I'm allowed to, but they um, he was offering up a lot of opinions that day and, Got crucified, I think, for some of the things he said. But at the end of the day, it's up it's up to the bosses to to listen. Yeah, that's, so it's their decision, mate. If he, if he's happy to offer up an opinion, that's that's his choice. If if that's wrong, then the bosses should should know that. But I, th- from what I'm imagining was happening, they would have been willing to listen to anyone who was offering up an opinion. Yep. Yep. So uh, police uh, planted a covert listening device and basically just listen in <laughs> to what, you know, what was happening on the inside and still decided to contain and negotiate. That, that's another coroner's non-publication order you just said, but it's funnily enough the uh, ABC Four Corners have already put it on there. It's on and, uh, Wikipedia. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm quoting. I'm literally quoting fucking all Wikipedia right. Oh, now. mate, that's so, that's yeah, a lot of stuff on Wikipedia. Is, is that you got stuff that I was fucking, demanded taken yeah, out of my book? Crazy, crazy. But yeah, that that was. Um, and they uh, not only did they put it on four corners, but they said how poor an effort it was. But yeah, that there was that that did happen. Yeah, and um, so you guys were there for you know quite an extensive time, and in your in your book it breaks down a part where you weren't even looked after as well. Like there was no, you know what I mean? Like you guys are in the sweltering fucking heat, kitted up to the fucking max, and you know possibly looking at you know a DA happening, which ended up the EA ended up happening. You said you got half a fucking subway fucking sandwich, and that was it. Yeah, well. As you can imagine, there would have been a bit of panic going on and and I'm not sure where our, they prioritised us in relation to it. But, yeah, it was, it, it was uh, obviously in the hotter months and um, like we're capable of being there and standing there in full kit for hours and if we need to. But at the end of the day, I was in full kit on a job where you need to have your – you need to be alert. Switched on, yeah. And for 16 hours and and uh, it got to a point where, yeah, no water. Like we can go with our food, but the water was, was getting a bit ridiculous. And one of the boys, old Paulie, um, he's got relieved from the shield for a bit and went back through the, the truck bay and found an abandoned cafe and helped himself to the some of the water and the choc chip and biscuits. Choc- yeah. And uh, he's very proud of himself, funnily enough, and – what was his comment? Something along, uh, just the uh, cafe owners of Sydney providing for the state state's finest or some shit like that. But yeah, it was yeah that that was it was a bit frustrating, amongst other things on that day. Like yeah, we're standing there full kit, sweating our asses off. Yeah, and not even water. Yeah, we did eventually get some. They did eventually get some to us, but 
one of the things was uh, another another bloke um, came onto our team to bolster our numbers, and he's a he's a great bloke. He's a, a funny bloke. He's um he's half half Lebanese, half Irish. So mate Gus named him the the Lebricorn. <laughs> <laughs> and mate, he's a he's a funny dude. He's a he's a big bopper. He's he's uh he's very he's a he loves his uh, MMA and he's done a few fights and stuff. But not only that, you know, he's pretty switched on. He's done his law degree and all that since. But yeah, he was saying that um he came through the uh, through the command post. So just bosses lined up everywhere, and I've later heard that every boss within Sydney area wanted to get their name as being involved on the job. So there were just bosses everywhere and. Just foot long subways are stacked up, bloody five high on a desk, and yeah, but it's just like that. Yes, which is what's crazy. Gonna, what's going to change? Yeah, which is crazy because yeah. again, you, you've, you, I guess you've lived that the choco life as well, where you knew that even the bottom digger was fucking looked after. The boss would wait until that last digger's had his fucking food before the boss would eat. But that's a, that's a that, military thing. That, yeah, it's very that, different. That's, that's a military in thing. The, in the cops, yeah. So the first five uh, hostages escaped around 1537. Uh, they escape, and what were the thoughts there? Like, they just fucking come rushing out that side door first on Martin Place. Five. The first, there was the first, um, there was three of them. Was there three? Yeah, sorry. The old bloke, The I think he was a... Barrister as well. They both burst out the front. Yeah, John front. O'Brien. Yep, that was him. Stefan Balafutis. Yep. And then out of the fire door right in front of us, one of the uh, Lint employees came. Oh, the fire door on Phillips Street. Yeah, that, that one you can yep, see. Yep. Yep, so we were stacked up directly behind that in that in the truck bay. Yep, yeah, chocked open was a fucking milk crate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Helped to put the shield on after 12 hours or Yeah. So. Yeah, one burst out of there. No, we weren't expecting it at all, and we assumed they were locked in. The next thing is, it's like, Jesus, what's going on? And, yep, so we, we just called them, called them to us, and the Sarge tried talking to them to get intel because it, it, was, it was quite a desperate situation because you, you need to know what's going on. Yeah. Snipers, snipers can't see stuff all in there. It's all stenciled like that, but not only that, they're only they're thin windows. It, there's certain things you can see, and he'd always remain well hidden, so – Desperate for information, but like I said, they were they were too rattled. They they weren't making sense, and they then got handed over to negotiators and investigators to give us something. But yep, yep. So that was uh, the two Ellie Ellie Chen and they they went out the other door. I they think. went out the other door. So there was there yeah, was the sorry. two the two entry teams. Yep. So there was ours, which were the alpha team. There was uh, I. Th- I think for the point of the book to make it more understandable, I call it Bravo, but there was sort of a combined, I think it was Charlie and Delta, in different spots over on the other side. That was the the footage uh, some people have seen from the other side. Um, anyway, so, there, yeah, there was two entry teams, then there were all the snipers. There was even our perimeter team down on yep, yep. one of the doors, I think. That's the one you see in the footage where he's grabbed – one of the the Asian girls. Yep, 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 yep. But yeah, um, and then obviously the the three different Sierra te- the sniper teams. Yeah, yeah, and then probably about a thousand cops and command and structure and yep. every hanger honor that wanted to be part of the. There was the day. Yep. 
So you, you're there for an extended period of time. Um, and basically, you know, come midnight, 1 a.m.-ish, they're kind of like, all right, we're going to, you know, just post up for the night type thing. Yeah. Like it was like there, a, there was, throughout the day, there was lots of different, it, was, it got to a point like they've, they said, oh, prepare to, prepare to initiate the EA. Shit, righto. Like they were refusing his demand. So there was lots of highs on those. Like there was points where like, oh, shit, we're going in here. So your adrenaline will be up. You're like, yeah, fuck, okay. Ready. You guys are all on comms? Yeah, all on yep. comms. We're like, yeah, sweet, okay, so we're ready to do this. And there's highs and lows, and then there was conversations that we had amongst us. But it was a long day, and then there was talk that they were – because we only have a certain amount of numbers – uh, full-time operators. We have the part-timers who look after, say, country or regional areas, but they were starting to fly in blokes from Queensland and mm. pretty sure the Vic Pole blokes and some of the, the feds were coming in because we, we do annual training camps with them. Say, so if there is a large-scale terrorist job, we've got the numbers and we've done jobs in Victoria and Queensland and stuff like that. So, and, like, I was a special constable in both of those states. So they were flying in. This talk, um, obviously, we'd been pushing the DA, all our team leaders and and inspector had been pushing that we wanted the DA all day, and um, we weren't fed too much back. But it wasn't sounding like they were going to sign off on it. And with a DA is what was needed. We we needed the DA, and for some reason they wouldn't sign off on it. Um, like I was saying before, they started flying a lot of the interstaters. They were bringing in boys off leave or who were at home, not on duty. And there was talk that we were going to be stood down. And the uh, the tag boys had created a mock up out there at their training facility that I'm not allowed to say where it is. <laughs> and um, they trolled it. And I think that there was talk of stepping us down for a couple of hours, trying to have two hours sleep, going to troll the DA on the off chance a boss would ever allow it to happen. But for us on the front line, especially my shield man, I and my sergeant who'd also been looking in, we we didn't want to stand out. We wanted to see this out. We wanted to go in. We wanted to save the hostages. So, yeah, throughout the day, lots of ups and downs, but it, it got to – it got late in the night and then we get, we get the call over the radio um, that everything's, everything's fine and everything will be settling down for the night. Settling down. Settling down. For There's the a terrorist night. inside with a bomb and a shotgun and hostages. Yeah. Well, with this thing who's going to get his swag out and just camp yeah, up. Yeah. Sling a hammock and yeah. check back in in the morning as his day job as a terrorist. But, um, mate, as you can imagine us on the front line, it's like it, that just doesn't make sense. And we were pissed when we heard that. Like you've got you got a a guy who's threatening that whenever a hostage leave, he's going to kill someone. He's had a number of hostages escape. His demands have been refused. He's getting angrier and angrier. The lights are still on. He's, for, for us, on a tactical level, probably just a logical level, it was like this this guy must be getting more and more enraged by the second. But we were then notified that it's okay because things were settling down for the night. So... You can imagine the amount of curse words and uh, 
conversations going on amongst us when we heard that. And then then it was only moments later that we that uh, I think it was up to seven seven of the hostages. Sorry, the fir- we did hear a, we did hear a like a bang the, the shotgun going off. Yeah, two o three a.m. Two o three. Yeah. Yep. So it would have been just before two that we heard settling down for the night. Then around yeah, just after two that we heard the shotgun and we just like six oh, hostages shit. flee. Yep. Yeah, because all. All we hear is we didn't know about that at that stage. So it's like bang and we're just like, what the, f- what was that? Because the, the cafe was actually, used to be an old bank, so all of the, the glass was uh, yeah. bullet resistant. Reinforced, yeah. Reinforced. And anyway, we didn't know that at that stage. So it was just, it, it, it wasn't 100%, but it's it, it was like, fuck, that was a shotgun. That was a round. And then Paulie, Paulie's screaming, shot fired, shot fired. And we're just like, oh, fuck, okay. He's executing us, so it just ramped up. So going from ten to a hundred, ready to go in, and then we hear there's, and then like seconds later, we see there's a there's a bloke sprinting all the way down Phillips Street in his white shirt, hands up like this, and we're just looking up, going, "Oh shit, okay." So there's, and then we get notified the hostages have run out, and he was one of them. And he's ran all the way down, and and we're still like, I was standing. In the stack, I was second. I had, I had Paulie, myself, the Sarge, and then all of them. And we're just like, we're just rocking. We're just ready. It's like, okay, he's fighting us. There's no way we're not allowed to go in. We've been wanting to go in for a long time. He's fired on the hostages. We're going in. And we're, it's like, you, your adrenaline's just gone through the roof. Yeah. Um, you still, like, for me going in, my only hope was to go in. And shoot him until he stopped moving. No longer a threat, in the hope that he wouldn't detonate the bomb. Because I I believed wholeheartedly he had a bomb, so I just wanted to get in there and um, get the job done. And then time went time went by, and it was just it was. Uh, News would have been basically just like leaning on each other to you know, oh, like mate, it was just like almost like yeah. fucking. Mate, I remember, Let us look, in. I remember looking down at Paulie and he's like, he's rocking on his yeah. feet. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh shit, I am too. Like, yeah. we just, just, just the anticipation. Yeah. And then we just, we weren't, Nothing. Allowed, we weren't allowed to go in. It was just, just silence for a long time. It's just like, what? And you can imagine that conversation's going on. It's like, what? Is he executing hostages? And, and you just couldn't, no one could see anything. No one could see anything. No one could see anything. Obviously, the, the hostages, the six that flee, they wouldn't have said anything because they would have been just free. Well, they wouldn't have been. No, oh, they, they would yeah. have been rigging out and yeah. there's a whole process exactly. to go through. Anyway, so, yeah, beyond frustrated. And then um, we weren't even really being fed much fed much information. And then um, next thing, uh, another round goes off. It's like, what the fuck? What is happening? At 2.11? Yep. So how many minutes later are we talking? That's fucking yeah. Seven, six, seven, eight, eight, eight minutes. Eight minutes, sorry. And then, so we've been standing there, ready, just going, let us go in, let us go in. And um, yeah, that then then that that goes off another round, and we're like, we can't see anything. It's just beyond exasperating. It's like it's desperate. And um, and then the third shot goes off, and um, that's when we hear over the radio the one of the Sierras because. To add to my frustration, one of 
my radio went down as well. Hadn't been given another radio, but in a team, it's fine. In a team, it's it's uh in a team, it's fine because yeah, team leader just conveys it, but comes over um hostage down white window two hostage down white window two and obviously that's not something you want to hear at all this is the third round that's gone off we're desperate to go in he's fired on hostages what 11 minutes or so ago he's now put a hostage down on his knees and he's executed him and we're still standing there just like can you imagine the feeling and Because I'd seen these people, I'd, I'd felt a personal connection to them and just protective, and they like, fuck, I want to get in and help. And I'm standing there on the street. This bloke's just fired on hostages escaping. He's now just executed someone, and I still haven't been given the code word to get. I'm still, 11 minutes later, after he's executed someone, not allowed to go in. And, yeah, you can imagine. And... As you can imagine, the the public must be just completely frustrated. Like, why, 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 why are the police? Mm-hmm. The, the hostages, and this is all live on TV. This is all live, and the hostages in there must be like, why? Yeah, why is he not helping? So at two fourteen, that's when that that shot goes off and kills uh, Tory Johnson. Yep. Four minutes after, that's when you finally get the tiger, tiger, tiger. Yeah, and how does that come? Does it come over? You, you all got comms on, and yeah, it came, it came across. And there, uh, as you can imagine, in the moment, it feels like a lot longer. That, like that is a long, that is a long time, and I'm sure it felt like a very long time for the hostages. But for us, too desperate to go, and that was it felt like an eternity. And we were screaming at Sarge, saying, "Why? Why are we not allowed to go? And what's going on?" And he can only answer what he can answer, you know. Um, Reality is we, we weren't given the authority to do our job and as we were trained to do. Uh, the, the DA would have been ideal and that was just called washed straight away. If, if we'd done it under a DA, I still to this day think with all the options we have available to do the DA at our time of choosing, with all the different options that we have, that I'm still not allowed to speak about, but... We, it would have been a different result, and more than likely been able to save save the the two hostages. But but even even at at, at the time uh, after the hostages were fired on, and it taking eleven however long minutes, um, we weren't even allowed to go in under an EA. So for me, I still to this day believe that if if the EA had been called when they fired on the hostages, as it should have been, as the Later, Commissioner actually came out and said, Mick Fuller said that in, in everything that we know now, we should have gone in early, that ultimately we could have saved them. But in in that moment, we're still standing there just beyond desperate, enraged, just why? We, we've committed to this. We want to go in. We had our little chat earlier we'd, where we completely convinced it was a bomb. We'd, all, we'd said all our little goodbyes to our families in, in our own separate ways and and – we just weren't allowed to. We weren't allowed to do it, and obviously discussions were. Um, do we just like? I, I don't think I actually had this discussion, but I remember thinking in my head, it's like, 
do I just go in? Like, what, what is happening? Mm. Why? Mm. And you, you can't obviously, you don't know everything that's happening, but to me it's, I've, I've listened to hostages being fired on, I've listened to a hostage being executed. What could management know that I don't know that is stopping them from, from letting us do it? And um, eventually the the EA did get called through Tiger, 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 hence the, the name of my book, which wasn't one of the, the upper managers that was our, our inspector who called that based on the hostage being executed. I don't even know if it would have been called if it was up to them. But, yeah, so from that moment it was – our adrenaline was already right up. Mm. We were just waiting to go. And then it's once we heard it, we did, and Paulie took off on the shield, sprinted down as fast as he could, and uh, it was it was very still and quiet that night because there was no one there. And um, anyway, so as we're sprinting down, you hear the shotgun going off, bang, bang, bang. It's just cracking the – which that raises your levels even more because it was the, f- the last two blokes on the stack trying to shoot, shoot out the window to because we had no distraction devices. So that was our only way to try and distract him. But as I said, the the glass was bullet resistant, so they, they couldn't actually put like four rounds in the shotgun and it couldn't, couldn't crack out the, the glass, so they were ineffective at getting the stunnies in. But – we're sprinting down, we're hearing that going off. Just I was just prepped to go in, just sprinting down as fast as we could. Paulie turns, we face I uh I got my M4. There's like a little concrete landing on the front step. Um Paulie's propped there with a the shield up and I just originally I was over to his right, lift a muzzle over his head and sat propped into the left, had my uh, light source on and just staring in trying to find him. And the as it was dark inside too, the, the glass was reflecting a lot of the light back onto us. But I'm uh, I'm just yeah, just panning the room as best I could with the my M4, and then in his position, I'd seen him earlier in the day in that, that back corner. He was the white of his shirt sort of caught the light, and yeah, I've just, from the moment I saw him, I I knew he's the only threat, so I didn't have to continue looking. I just I looked, I stared straight at him. And at the time, he was sort of staring back towards where our boys had tried punching at the first window. And then he seen my light source, my, my guns up on him, trained. I had my, um, my laser pointer, which I'm not allowed to specify more than that, on him. And, um, yeah, he's turned, he's, look, he's looked at me and it was like, it was like old school Hollywood man, like mm. we just locked eyes and and um I was never I was in that moment it's like they say it slows down man and everything just slowed right down and and I've got my gun up, I got everything's ready, I'm just waiting for the breacher to to breach the glass door and then like I knew wholeheartedly I'm just I'm I'm gonna kill you. That's what I was thinking when I was looking at him. And and then um, finally, as I'm as I'm doing, I, I, I I'm focused on him, but I'm aware there's there's hostages, and he he, he literally had a hostage either side as human shields. He had he had furniture stacked up as well, didn't he? That is was that, all. That oh, that was that wasn't directly where he was. Yep. His furniture yep. stacked in random spots everywhere. But um, anyway, so he's standing there. He's got a hostage either side of him. I'm ready to go. And um, 
Light source guns on him, finger and trigger, just waiting. And I, I can also see he's got his shotgun, he's holding it. It's more, it's, it's not quite off the hip, it's above his hip. It's not on the shoulder because it's sawn off, but he's ready. And he's got to aim straight at me. He's, he's ready for this. And um, bang, the, the breacher shot out the, the glass window and Paulie instantly steps in and then, yeah, I take a step in and, that, and as I step in, I'm just crack, hit him, waiting for the muzzle to really level out and just bang and just okay, as I, I was stepping and firing and I, I, I got the first two rounds off. And I knew I knew I was hitting him. I got a laser point and train center body mass. And um, as I'm stepping forward with Paulie, he's sort of just here to my right. Boom! There's a huge muzzle flash from his end, and it's quite obvious what that is. He's just he just shot at us, and um, with his shotgun. And yeah, it's it's that bright. It's, it's sort of a quick flash, and. In that moment, but I never took my gun. I never took my laser pointer. I never took focus off him. But so as soon as that, I realised I didn't get hit. So I'm just I kept walking to him, walk to the threat, and engage. I just kept firing on him. Um, I was aware that I was now by myself, but it, I, I was just purely focused on him and putting just getting getting him down, like just doing what I had to and. I continue to walk forward and continue to to fire on him, and um, then I hit something with my foot, and I, I knew it was an obstruction. As I'm walking, as you as you're trying to do, move to the throat, engage it, and I'd, so I just stopped and I just stood there and I just kept kept cracking the rounds off, just letting the, the muzzle stabilise, and just and boom, that's when he's let off a he's let off a second one, and. In that moment, I've gone from full blown fight mode, like I'm fucking come, I'm killing you, and it's just with that single muzzle flash, it's like. And now, when when we first went in, it was probably ten meters in the dark, feels further away, blah blah blah. But I've moved a couple of meters towards, so it's not far away, man. Like you're talking seven or eight meters, and you're doing well to miss someone with a shotgun at that range. Mm. I was. It's, it's hard to say you think too much in the moment because you're just completely focused on killing. But I remember I was a bit shocked going, like, how did he get that shot off? Like, I must have a heap of rounds into him. And um, in in that split second, I've gone from, oh, fuck, I'm going to get hit here. My shield man's not here. I was by myself. Um, but didn't I didn't get hit. And so just – like, this, this is all – like all of this I've just spoken about probably happened in under Split two, second. Two, two, two or three seconds. Yeah. So we're, we're talking and shit really does slow down. But so I've got engaged, bang. I'm like, oh, fuck. I remember even beyond my rifle, I'm just flinching going, fuck, this is going to hurt. Like I, I expect me to get taken off. It's just a quick flinch. And then um, it didn't. So then I, I've just started to re-engage him. And um, I there was a thought coming to my mind, like, why the fuck? Fuck! Is he not? Go- How has he not gone down yet? You know, like I must have a heap of rounds in him. And um, anyway, I thought, well, he's not going down in that chest. I'm, so I just I tracked up with my laser pointer and yeah, right. to his head and just kept cracking. And finally, he started to drop, and I couldn't be sure he's going to take a knee or whatever. So I followed him down, and I just I followed him down and engaged until 
he stopped and then I deemed him no longer a threat. So, and then just stood staring at him, just finger on trigger, waiting to engage if I had to, waiting to see if he'd move, waiting to see if he'd do any attempt to set off the bomb. But also in that second, then I'm also starting to think, well, this is a dead man switch. This is this is sort of it, you know. So it's the whole – my whole point, my whole aim was to get in, try and shoot this brick, try and get him down to stop him from detonating the bomb. Is our only hope and the only hope of any hostages. I've done that. He's gone down and now it's like, well, it's a dead man switch going to go off. And so I'm just full still. He's the only threat focused on him. And then one of the – as I'm still just staring at him, one of the stunnies is one of the boys have bounced off, bounced off the ground and fucking hit me right on the shoulder. It's just going off right in my ears, just bang. I'm like, oh shit! So in that moment, I um, it sort of snapped me out of it a little bit, and uh, I started screaming. I'm like, the tango's down, the tango's down. Stop throwing the fucking stunnies. Stop throwing the stunnies. And that that eventually stopped, and I'm, I'm just so I'm screaming at him, still focusing on him. And uh, next thing out of my peripheral, someone appears, and I'm like, "Well, fuck, it's Paulie. Thank fuck." Because after that second round, I don't know if I said it in that initial story, but there's someone screaming, "Man down, man down!" So I can't stop to think about that. My focus is getting him. So I remember hearing it and going, "Oh fuck!" But I got to get him down. So I always thought it was Paulie, my shoe man, but it wasn't. So what actually happened? The second the the first round, sorry, got shot. He he's adamant to this day, and I, to be honest, I believe him. The the first rounds, part part of it, the, the I'm pretty sure the first round was say buckshot, and part of that hit the shield and it's hit the the glass door, and then that's exploded, and all the weight from that and from being hit with the the buckshot that's just pulled him down for a second. In, in that second, I've continued as I'm trained just to keep, keep walking to the threat and firing on him. So, but there was there was a lot of frag flying around in there. Like the the rounds that we don't have a choice of what we use, but that was the rounds chosen. And on impact with just about anything, even passing through him, they frag. So there was frag going yeah. everywhere. Our team leader got the sergeant got knocked on his ass. The inquest says it was frag. I remember seeing him like months later pulling bits of lead out of his hand, like he got hit in the face and in the hand, so he got knocked on his ass. He was the man down. But anyway, to go back to the story, so he was the man down. Paulie got hit with a shield and the the glass door pulled him down. I continued to move forward, engaged him until he stopped moving. Saw Paulie. He's moved. He no longer has a shield. He's put it down. He's in, there was like an entrance partition. There was like a counter where sort of you walk in and they say where you sit, all that sort of shit. And there was bits of furniture and tables and stuff all off to my left. Never seen him. I didn't notice him before. All I saw him, he's a threat. So, yeah, I've turned and walked and looked at all this shit I've never seen before. And then, um, which is to my left, mind you. Then I propped, propped up. Paulie stopped screaming out. With me, so I'm with you. Then we we walk forward, and um, I still have my man. I still have my finger in the trigger. Eh? Like I was, I was, I was expecting to engage again, and walked onto him as fast as we could, and stood over him. And um, it was quite evident quite quickly that he wasn't no longer a threat. Like he's uh, he's had a yeah, he's had a burst, and it was 
spread across the floor. It was just a pool of blood. Like he, he had that many rounds in him. And but um, I remember just standing over him, still had my gun on him. Like, and it was just it was like just taking it in. It was it was moments before we we were. Like at a full one firefight, now I'm standing over him and his brains are spread across the floor, and it was it was just like a moment of sinking in, and in in that moment too, I was like, well, I didn't expect to take one or two steps in here, and the whole thing just blow up, but didn't evidently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I, as I'm looking at him, I see the backpack again, and there's the backpack still full, still wise. I'm like, oh fuck! And then as as that moment happened, um. Paul, he's yelled out, um, you have been saved, you have been saved. So I was like, so I snapped. I was like, okay, well, priorities now. Let's get as many of these hostages out as we can. And he'd actually found Louisa Hope and she um, she was on the ground against the bench and just completely terrified out of it. And I walked up on the other side and I just – I use Paulie's words, you have been saved as well. And then we uh, lifted her up because we're, we're, it's urgent now. We've got to get him all out, let this bomb go off any second and and um, start helping her. And, and I know she's really struggling. I was like, oh, what's, what's going on? You're all right. And she wasn't really saying it. And I looked down at her foot and I'm like, oh, shit. Like her, her foot had mad fragged like it was – it had hit her that bad that it was it was like only a tendon holding on and it was like just dragging along behind her, like a big blood trail yeah, yeah. the poor thing. And and um pretty sure Paulie in that moment asked her if she could hop. <laughs> Don't think he was thinking straight. He yeah. Just, Can you hop? So, no, probably not, eh? <laughs> but um anyway, there, yeah, we lifted her up and the, the fireman's carry and, and rushed her out. Like, poor thing was, yeah. Just as you can imagine, in complete shock and bleeding, and dragged. We carried her out, and there's made out the front. It was like a, it was a mad scene. There was just ambos everywhere. There was bomb and rescue cops everywhere. There was it was a shitload of people, and carried her out, gave it, handed over to the ambos, making sure she was all right. But like, I needed to get, I needed to get back in there, and um, and then as I. I start to walk. I start to walk back in, and I notice someone all in black on the ground on the left of the doorway, and the ambos are right in, working on him. And I'm like, "Oh shit!" I'm like, "That's the man down." And I thought, in that split second, I thought that was our uh, my team leader. He, he's my mate, mm. Officer B. I can't say his name either, but um, I th- I was just convinced that was him. And and a quick assessment, like. As you, you can imagine, the wounds from what happened, like it was instantly clear that the poor bloke wasn't going to make it. And then, a, then it was a realization that no, 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 that's the hostage. That's that's the poor hostage, Tory, who died in White Window too. And then this this is all happening very quickly. But then, then the realization that it's like fuck, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do my job, and I couldn't save this man. And now that's. That's the way he, he is, and that was, um, yeah, that was. There was a lot of rage, and just it's not just not un, like it was. Yeah, I was 
in that moment, seeing him the way he was and the realisation I wasn't allowed to do my job as the TAU, all the boys weren't allowed to do our job to save him. Like that was that was a lot. Then um, one of the the other TAU operators carrying out another like very distraught hostage uh, bumped into me. I think it was um, anyway bumped into me, and then I. Um, I was like, oh, fuck, the hostage snapped me out of it, went back in, and the lights had come on by now and made the it, – it looked like a war zone, man. Like there was um, – haven't been in a war zone, so anyone who's not happy about that, fair enough. But there was like – there was spent cartridges everywhere, there's bloody stunnies everywhere, there's smashed glass, there's bloody – there's blood everywhere. Screaming hostages, like so much blood, man. It, it was it was bad in there, and um, still smoke everywhere from all the stunnies and the gunshots. And walk back in to where the terrace was still bleeding out in the ground, and um, and the the sergeant from the other team screaming out, "Hurry, boys! We got to find every hostage, search everywhere." Because we got to get out of here. The bomb could go off any time. So, as you can imagine, it, it wasn't just in my mind. It was potentially going to go off. It was in everyone's mind. Mm. It was like, well, mm. this bomb could fucking go off any time. So, um, started scanning scanning the room and um, in the back corner, not far from where he was and where I found Louisa. I'm only about to talk about this on a, uh, a limited yeah, scale, yeah, yeah, purely because yeah. I – it might, Mate, might get you, a bit emotional for me. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure you can understand. Yeah, but um. Anyway, in the, in the back corner, there's all these tables tables stacked up, and um, uh, as I'm like scanning the room, I'm looking as fast as like, and and then I look under, and it's it's even though the lights are on, it's still like dark under there, and I, I see what could only be determined as like a the top of a head, and it was like. Blonde, I could see. I was like, "Oh fuck!" There's another hostage. Help, help me, mate. And it was one of my uh, one of the boys. Everyone's my mate, and it's here, but yeah, he's um he's an ex British Marine commando bloke. Good, good bloke, solid operator. I might scream. He was like, "Man, help me!" Um, there's another one, and we just start lifting these bloody tables out, and they they were um they were big. They were quite heavy tables, fucking throwing around like they're nothing just to get to her and. As as I'm pulling away each table, you know, more and more of her is becoming exposed. And I I look down at her and um she's she's in like a black business business suit and like the girl version of it and um hair's tied up in a ponytail and she's lying there with her with a face in her hands like and um, you'll see in the book the way I've written this that I can't talk about certain things, but like she was like there were little tears in the back, and she was not in a good, good way. So I, I rushed. I took took a knee, and then I um, with a head I, I, ro- I rolled her over onto onto her back, and at that stage she was um, this is. Katrina Dawson, mind you. Um, and earlier I didn't say, but we'd had a hostage 
like things coming through on our on our tactical um, on the iPhones, but it's a system we use to distribute information. And um, anyway, I'd seen her and heard it, knew of her, what she looked like, her identified as a barrister and mother of children. Blah, blah. So I'm seeing her and. Um, yeah, as, as I'm looking at her, I can t- she, she's alive. She's struggling, struggling to breathe and like just pure fear in her eyes. And um, I've discussed it more in the book, but I'll, I'll just say that um, basically that, that she, she died in my arms and – we're literally looking into each other's eyes when it happens. So, something I'll never forget. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, right. So, after you've. Uh, after you guys have cleared all the hostages out of the um, the area, obviously the the bomb uh, technicians head in and yeah, I've had a little breather. Their, I can, the, yeah, I got a bit emotional there. So no, I'm you're right, mate. You're um, fucking to be expected. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I won't go further into it, but I'll say that um, as this is this is happening, she's her, her breathing slowing, and I knew it wasn't looking good. And then the ambos are coming in and. Started to work on her, but yep, I knew reality is that, mm. that it it, w- it wasn't going to end well. Um, and yeah, then then the um, sergeant from the other team starts screaming out the landslide code word, which I won't give away, but it's um, we need to get out of there. And then as the ambos are there doing their CPR and trying to revive her, I'm like. Guys, boys, boys, we got to go. We got to go, and I don't know that they were completely focused, as you can imagine, on trying to save her. But we needed to get out of there. Like this, we this, we saw this big ass bomb there, and it's going to just kill everyone. So, um, yeah, they, my my uh, best mate Gus was was with me there as well during this, and so was was Paulie and. Other guys, so they there's a quickly put her on a spinal board and they jumped on and helped. And I was out the front and um, just clearing, clearing away. Like, and then yeah, she we all all went out. I was in front and sort of screaming for help. And the ambos just mate, they were they were so good. They were just straight onto it and surrounded her and on a stretcher. And all all I could do was just watch from a distance, like and. And I remember earlier when they're working on like my natural instinct is I want to be there, I want to comfort, I want to be with her, but I can't and I'm not going to do anything, which is – and then that was the same outside. And um, anyway, the next thing they um, they rushed her off on a stretcher down the street and off off in the ambos and and then out the front of the, the cafe, a lot of the boys were congregating and I was like – I was just – at this point, I was just – I was a bit – I was overwhelmed, man. I was like, fuck, I need to – like I ripped my Ballerone helmet off. I knew there was four million cameras, but I was like this – it was just – I was just uh, – I was struggling to breathe and, and so this is too much, hey? And 
And um and like I even knew some of the boys were were um screaming, Let's go, let's go. And I remember Gus was like, Hey, we gotta go and I was like physically I had to just say let's go and because the the code word was going off to so we ended up I ended up um like I was still functioning, but I was just yeah, I was in a zone. Yeah. I was like, fuck. Like I just I needed to breathe. And anyway, went up to the and then went back to the league club, I think it was. And then from that moment, with I'm not sure how it works in the military, but we're directed from that second. You are not allowed to talk to any other involved party. Investigations. Investigations yeah. begin. You then they took all all my kit, all my my primary Forensics. everything, and then they um yeah. So I'm sitting there with everyone. No one's talking, and you're not allowed to talk. Like it's everyone was just trying. I was just remember sitting there trying to process. I was like, "Fuck it, man! I need a cigarette." I eh? <laughs> like when I get shit like that, all I want is to smoke. So there's a police media girl there I know, and I was like, "I knew she smokes." And I was like, "You dad." Uh, but I'll get you one, and she ended up taking off and get me one, and ended up going for like I couldn't even, I didn't really even want to talk to people at that stage, just just sort of process it all, and ended up having a having a diet out of the front. Menthol? No, that was it. Naden me. Oh, was it? That was it. Naden. <laughs> the prancing brogger. <laughs> yeah. Um. No. No. She this. This police media girl, she's good. She got me the right ones. And um Winnie Blues. Yeah, <laughs> Probably yeah. I think it might have been Sky Blues. Sky Blues, yeah. I think I was trying to cut that. Yeah. Anyway, um <laughs> Yeah, so but then obviously my missus is um still at home seeing this shit going All on. All live no, on TV, yeah. Just going and I, so she got no idea what's happening. So yeah, then I um I'd uh Punched a couple of darts first, calmed myself, and then rang her, and that was a hard phone call because she didn't know, no one knew anything at this stage, you mm. know, and she's pretty aware when I was sending a text message earlier in the day asking for more pictures of my little girl, like, I think she knew that I didn't expect to be coming home. Mm. So, yeah, that was that was another hard chat. But, yeah, that, that, that was, um, yeah, it was a big day when I'm, Never gonna forget, eh? And then, then starts all the inquest and all that that shit, man. Yeah. So over the next uh, fuck to this current day, still. Mm. Well, I remember. So obviously, after that, you got to do all your piss testing, and all, like we we didn't leave for many an hour later. They need to let details separate, take away kit, blah blah blah. I didn't get home for many hours later. When I had a couple of hours sleep and then uh, I woke up and I I think I was supposed to be back on duty but because I worked for so long I didn't need to go in that day and, and that night it was my two-year-old daughter's Christmas daycare pageant and it, as, as you can imagine I'd had a couple of hours sleep and I'm straight into that and it's just like parallel universe sort of stuff, just man. opposite. It's, yeah. Total and, one, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that that's the thing, I think um, – I'd say that's that's a, a big difference between say um, cops and say military. Uh, like within twenty four hours, I'd gone from from the 
what Gus calls the disco of death. Like it was, it was just horrendous, right? And then I go on from that to having a bunch of my, my two year old draw dressed in a little princess dress with a gold star and pigtails and shit. Yeah. And then, and then dancing and it's, it's just surreal. And there I am trying to focus on it and I'm just getting flashback after flashback. It's like, and then in your book, you say that a couple of people obviously knew that you were TOU as well. And oh, knew your place. No, it wasn't necessarily that. It was more. Um, it was. It was. It was. I was thinking about the contrast. There was one woman whinging. Oh my god, I had to walk four minutes because there was no parking. And I'm like, geez, that's that's contrast. And then there was another dude. I think it was a couple of parents getting all frustrated because they couldn't get position to film their kids. And I'm and and I'm still just thinking of everything that happened the night before. So everyone does it. it like it, it really put things into perspective in that moment. And then as yeah, I was going through some real bad flashbacks, as you can imagine. But I'm trying to be there for my little two year old and got got through it. But and then as we're walking back, then you can hear the you overhear some of the parents and everyone's talking about the, the Lint Terrace attack, the Lint Siege and a couple of blokes oh, if I was there, this is what I would have done. So mm. it's like, Okay. All right. So yeah, and then that that just led on into the media barrage went mm. on. Um, end of the day, innocent people died, and there's, there's people need to be yeah for it. yeah. And well, fuck, let's leave all that fucking rubbish because that's all just jargon yeah. and fucking crap. And all those people yeah. that come out and say could have did this, could have did that, or f- yeah. what you would have done. No one fucking cares. You went there yeah. in the night. That's right. You're, you're an armchair critic. Boys on the door. The boys that can did it. So. Shut yep. the fuck up. Simple. Well, yeah, come and have a chat with me. <laughs> Tell me how you would have done it. Yeah. But that, for, for the – in hindsight, it's it's easy. Oh, it wasn't a bomb. You should have just gone and whacked him. It's yeah. like, well, I believe it was a bomb, 100%. And yeah. it wasn't a bomb. Yeah. So, yeah, the, and – Even the, if you have come from that background and you fucking gob off about it, shut the fuck up. Tell yeah. us how you could have fucking saved the World Trade Towers. Do you know – Yeah. Because you're a hero. Oh, mate, anyway, let's all, let's let's stay away from that negativity. Yeah. And, it's and, fucking rubbish. And and f- for me, like it's um, because obviously it's just all over the media every day. And, yeah. And I was I was um I was in a I was in a pretty rough spot, man. Like um after that, it was I was getting like not sleep and nightmare, all the stereotypical PTSD shit. Mm. You know? Like I was. Mad flashbacks. Man, I'd walk around my hand on my Glock the whole time. You'd never see me without my hand on my Glock. And um, and the the biggest thing for me was I'd um, start to see in the building someone who who looked the same as Katrina and or similar. Like I'd in that moment instantly believe that it's her and like nearly full blown panic attack. Like mm. I was in I was in a bad state and but I was hiding it because I didn't want to leave my boys. I didn't yeah. want to leave yeah. my support. As much as the system is you cannot talk to anyone, despite the fact apparently all the bosses were talking the whole way through it. We're not allowed to, so I did what I was told. And that they for people who've been through that experience with that, that's probably what you want to do mm. is talk to them. Mm. But I understand why you can't because you talking to them it corrupts what you think you saw on the day. But that, that inquest went on for a ridiculous amount. Yeah, yeah. And then I was trying to stay off social media. I was trying to stay off media. But even in the meal room at work, there'd be the TV going or the so, yeah, non-stop. newspaper out and, and and seeing their faces. It, it, was, it was 
just non-stop, you know. And um, every now and again I'd do something stupid, like look on social media and why. Yeah. I'm, I'm better, like, it's just, we, we've just discussed it. Yeah. The people with the tension seekers or the keyboard warriors, so whatever. But, um, yeah, it was, and so on top of all of this, I was still working, so still still jobs going on, and I had the um, the, the coroner's inquest just looming, and that's, that's big. Like that's um, that that like I was going to be yeah I was going to be interviewed by all these all these barristers and but I I did have admittedly I had a great great legal team my um my sister's old school he's a, he's actually an ex copper and um yeah really solid good bloke and he prepped me him and and I also had a, a barrister as part of my part of my team and he's um. He's actually ex. I think he's still in the the reservist, but he's ex military. Who's who's the legal wing for the, the military? Like the JAG, JAG, the JAG. JAG yeah. <laughs> but anyway, no. So he he's like a he's a captain or a colonel or something. Yeah. Anyway, so he's quite high up, but he he represents. Yeah. He, he's a part of the legal services for the military, and so he he actually had some idea about mm. weapons and how they worked and. And w- was a big help too, and um, so I spent a lot of time with them, and and they um, they they also prepped me for what questions that could have been asked, and the sort of things that people they may say to me. So that was hard in itself. But um, so were there people in the police trying to pin y- you guys for not this? Oh, so the, the whole process. No, so the coroner runs runs the investigation. Yeah. Then then you've got a legal team for each representative. So you've got a legal team for the police force, a legal team for me as one shooter, a legal team for the officer B, my sergeant, as the other shooter, and then public interest community, and then for each of the families. And then there's the legal team running the whole investigation. So each of them can, can question me. Um, but basically... The, it's all done through the coroner, so they have their own power. So they have their own investigation team, and then the cops defend that. That like the upper echelon. Well, it's supposed to be all of the cops. To be honest, it's supposed to represent everyone. But then, because I was a shooter, I had my own legal team. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So you're yeah, again. You're still working at this stage as well. And then uh, eventually, obviously, the PTSD. Um, you know the the mental state. Uh, declined to a state where you had to be put into, uh, you know, what you've written in your book, you go to, you set off to the loony bin. Yeah, well, it, <laughs> with a knife, eventually. <laughs> nut house. I call it <laughs> the nut, nut house. <laughs> well, it is a nut house. But no, that, so, yeah, I, I won't, there's, there's lots in there about the inquest about the book mm. that's quite interesting. But um, no, I, I, I kept working for another six years, man. Was, six years? Yeah. And like initially I saw, I got talked into seeing a, a shrink psychologist, sorry, to, and I'm like, well, there must be some merit in it. Lots of people doing it. I got to be there for my family. Did that after five sessions. She pretty much wanted to wrap it up. I was like, oh, go fuck yourself, you know. Like I've, I, and I actually told her about all my symptoms. Like I, I wasn't in a good way, but um, yeah, I'd say after after a few months, I managed to pretty much to an extent lock it all away, and um. I just wanted to be at work, so mm. 
I yeah, just dealt with it. Like I, I still sleep wasn't happening or Sylvie having all nightmare, high vigilance, all that. But I, I got it to a point that I'd say even the bosses didn't notice it. And um, yeah, it went on and then another big job a year later, we ran into a bloke who'd filled his car with petrol and my shield man, Paulie, ran in. As we ran in to grab him out of the van, he's detonated the, the fuel bomb and mate, sent sent me across the whole garage and Paul was stuck in the flames and grabbed him and it's all it's a good story in the book. But it's uh, I, I was convinced he died. Like he just he dropped and life went out of him. I had to drag him out and that that was a comeback hard again. Then I'm like, fuck, because I was convinced convinced he died. You know, but um, yep, man, I. I kept going for, and then, like I've obviously had lots of physical injuries, and then the final thing was, um, yeah, went off on third third knee, Rico, and the surgeons telling me he's like, oh, mate, you need a knee replacement. I'm like, man, I'm not even forty. <laughs> yeah, I can't have a knee replacement. He goes, well, yeah, but he goes, oh, you need another job. I'm like, well, like what? He goes, oh, one sitting me on desk. I said, mate, no you chance. Don't know me. Oh, that's not something for me. But, um, yeah, I just saw it as a challenge and I'll, I'll get back to work. I've done it before, been told, maybe not quite to that extent. But, uh, yeah, it didn't, didn't get better. And then because um, I can't train or get my mind off it will be with the boys, I was sitting at home and started thinking too much and and um, really I wasn't able to just lock it away like I have been in the past and it. And then one of the – I got a mate in the police rescue and he's he's got PTSD and I had a couple of coffees with him and he's like, man, you got every every sign of it. Like you need to see someone. I'm like, mate, you're dreaming. Like that's for, that's for soft people, you know. Like fuck that, I'm not – I don't have PTSD. And um, and because I like – when I say that, I, I, I refuse to be a victim of anything in my life. And I, I always felt like if there's something that comes up, I can beat it. So, And I always felt like that about PTSD. And it's not definitely not something you'd want to talk about in my unit. You would never – if you said it, people would write you off. Um, it's, it's, it's not – it's changing a lot now, I'd say, in the unit, especially because of a lot of the blokes going off. But um, – that there's a big stigma with it in the in the cops. I think we spoke about it earlier. Mm. That mm. that I'm not saying it's happening, but there there may be some people going off for a financial advantage. There's um, oh, there's plenty of them in the military. That's for sure. Yeah, I'll tell you so that's I, a fact. I'd suggest that is happening. Yeah, and and, and f- to be put in that box, or for for me for me on a more personal level, I refuse to be a victim or show any sort of mm. weakness. And mm. no, and that's why I hid it for six years. That's why I went to every operation for six years. That's why. So I I I'm not comfortable showing emotion or being soft in front of them. So so yeah, I just kept kept denying it. Yeah, no, fuck that. I'm sweet man. And anyway, I um it was getting a bit much and. And even the missus was like, you got to do something, you got to lose your family. I was like, really? So, yeah, I went off and um, I thought, well, I'm not willing to do that and went off and saw a psychologist and mate, she, was, she was just different straight away, you know. Like normally you go there, they don't tell you anything, they're not personal, but like I'd actually say we're, sort of, we're mates now. So And she she tells me stuff, I tell her stuff. And, and after – 
couple of months or something. My knee's still dog shit. Still trying to train it back up, but it won't. And um, she said, oh, I want you to go to the the mental health facility. And I was like, what the fucking nutty ass? And um, she's like, well, it's not like that, Ben. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, um, oh, it nags me for another couple of months. And I was like, it's just a PTSD awareness program and it'll teach you all about it. Because I was still in denial. I was like, oh, just – Talking, I talked about little jobs and certain things, and so I was like, "All right, you know what? I'll do it." I went there, and and luckily enough, I was put on the um, Zoliex military, or even some serving. I think still military. It was on the level. It was a private hospital, so as you can imagine, it wasn't like Shutter Island mm. sort of shit. But Bit it was fancier. <laughs> there's still like full zombie apocalypse in some places, <laughs> man. It's like that many people <laughs> drugged out, and anyway. But, um, yeah, went there and had the promise that we're not going to be talking about our feelings and all that sort of shit. It's the first session, rock up, and um, that's what we're told. Uh, it's, a, it's an awareness program. You'll be told all about it, but we'll also not go into individual incidents but talk about our feelings and how we, f- how we feel about this. And I was like, what the fuck? You promised me. <laughs> but, um, no, it, it was – I would say I did the right, I'd definitely say I did the right thing because it just purely for uh, to educate me, yeah, and all yeah. of these make like, you aware, make me aware. But like even f- some of the funny, th- like the things I'd never even heard of. Or like they're sitting there, we're all everyone's like, like there's two ex coppers, an ex navy dude, an ex warrant officer. Don't even know what area. He wouldn't tell me where he worked. I tried bouncing him after all these stories, but and. um there's a civvy as well, which is I don't even know why she was in it. But yeah, it was all these randoms. And um yeah, everyone's like, oh, wait, everyone's divorced. But everyone be, everyone was sitting there like like oh we only know shorts and t shirt and the bloody um there was a head psychologist and her assistant and they were like freezing or rugged up and with PTSD because you're just like full flight fight or flight zone, you're always really hot and they, they mm. said with PTSD you you're always so much hotter that I have to crank up the aircon. Other sort of a Mrs. Wingen, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was good. I got I took what I could out of it. Like I, I'm, she kept trying to get me to talk about my emotions and stuff. Like I'm not good with any of that. But but I got to I got I did that. I did my missus sort of demanded I do it, which I did it. Um, I got educated on it all. But then. Um, then come out the other side and then I got sort of final lay in the cops. So I've been a cop for 20 years, you know, and it, it's not as it is for the military. It's not just a job. It's not something you turn up to nine to five. It's sort of who you are yeah. as, as, as a yeah. person. and Lifestyle. For me, I'd been a cop for most of my life and yeah, you're a cop on and off duty and, and I missed – I just wanted to be back at work. I want to be with the boys. I want to be with like-minded my mates who I'd faced all this shit with, you know, and um, and I couldn't. And then that was another. That was another big. That was a big hit. I remember it was um, April Fool's Day, the day they officially I was no longer a cop. So, yeah, th- thanks, guys. That's awesome. But um, I'm a, I'm assuming it wasn't intentional. Yeah. But uh, yeah. That I took that. That was a big hit. So I've done the stereotypical, fucking, like everyone just drinking. Eating, not talking to anyone, mad, 
I eventually just locked myself away. My biggest thing too for me was my panic attacks would just come on and they'd just come on any time, no specific reason. And they were like real bad, man. Like when I was in them, like I would I would do and was I would feel in that moment I was willing to do anything to get them to stop. It was that bad and that's obviously suicide I'm talking about. But like I see that as – I see that now. Like I understand why people have done it. There's mm-hmm. been ex-TAUs and ex-cops. There's been cops yeah. still yeah. today. This, yeah. Like I don't blame them for doing it, but I I, I still see it as a weakness. So I know I never will. But um, yeah, but in the, in that moment of just pure like – it's just like panic and the, like, it's, like I would think that – I need to get out of it, and sometimes it last for hours and hours, man. And suicide was definitely what I was thinking over and over and over. And severe exercise is what to get me out out of it in those moments. But I mean, you, you can imagine like going to the pub and something like that happening, or mm. going like it. It was debilitating, as man. So, um, oh yeah, I went through the full stereotypical just drinking, eaves, staying at home, not talking to anyone. But um, got to a point where I'm like, well. No, nah, this is not who I'm going to be. I'm not going to let this this defeat me, and that's why I um yeah, I've got to the point like I've done everything. I've even done um have you heard of that magnetic therapy stuff they do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. mate. So I've gone from a point of just being sad, not wanting to talk to anyone, but I'm like, well, my kids, man, I live for my kids. All so I'm, I and I do everything, and I do it daily. I make an effort to do it. A big part of Writing the book for me was about that, was about the journey. It was exposure therapy and it was um, – and I hope that through everything that I've been through, everything that I've done and everything that I now continue to do in in what is my new fight is, is PTSD and depression and all that. And I'm, I'm not going to let that shit beat me. I haven't let other stuff beat me. So that's – and I hope that I can – get that message out to to people who got the same bullshit thing happened to them, you know. So wanting to get the frontline version of the book out of what what we were faced with, what what we saw, what we were told, and the brave bravery of the TU on that day. And hopefully through my journey of um, the mistakes I've made, you could definitely say plenty of mistakes I've made, but but um, also learn and see what I'm doing, and and mate, I've I've tried yoga. I've you can imagine a dude like me trying yoga, like it's not my thing. I've tried meditate. I'll, I'll do yeah, anything. Yeah, I'll do anything, and you have to just hit it with everything. So if I can get that message out, and through my book, then then I've achieved what I wanted to. Yeah, fuck, holy shit, this is intense. This has been intense. Holy shit. This has been uh, awesome, mate. Like, it's just, you know, it was one of those moments in time that captivated all of Australia and did reach, obviously, around the world. And not to mention, you know, the the bullshit that followed with it. Obviously, uh, you know, we've been chatting for almost three and a half hours now. It's been absolutely fucking awesome. So, for the the listeners, definitely jump on to uh, Tiger, Tiger, Tiger book and uh, get the book. It's got so much. I've read the whole thing. I read the whole thing. Uh, I was on a plane the other week, read the whole thing, and 
it it's it's awesome. It just goes into especially like the when you talk about the TAU training, back to the training, and it's, there's no political correctness. It's great. Yeah, it's, know, that's, that's that's who I am. That's like, it. It's raw. It's real, and I don't. And, Unfiltered, yeah, yeah, and then obviously, when you end up at the nut house, uh, yeah. quick story about your wife bringing in the birthday cake and there's oh, a knife. And yeah, I'll, I'll throw it in real quick. Oh, yeah, so um, <laughs> I was allowed out for my birthday. This is awesome. I was allowed out for my birthday, which is nice. And the missus had to park quickly, had to park around the corner because my seven year old by that stage would have worked out, like, what's, what's daddy doing in hospital? So, anyway, went down to the, the local wharf and sat there awkwardly as the cake they'd made. They're singing happy birthday to me. And anyway, um, they made me presents and all that, which is, it was really nice. It helped me. But um, went back, carried the presents back into the old hospital, the old nut house, as I call it, and um, get a phone call that night. And this is like, um, can you just check the bag with your presents? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. What, what are you talking about? What's wrong? And, and um, well, you know that knife we used to cut the, the birthday cake? I can't find it. I'm like, Anyway, there it was, the bottom of the bag, I just smuggled. Like, and it wasn't that small, it was a big-ass kitchen knife, you know. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, they'd be doing checks on me every yeah, the lock 30 it, seconds, yeah. man. Like, I'd probably call it, lock it down, call the TAU. Yeah. The boys would be turning up, like, oh, have a go. <laughs> this bloke. I got you. I got you covered. But, yeah, mate, and I, I, mate, I just had to hide it. <laughs> I hid it in the, uh, in the mattress or something because I was like, because there's some, some blokes in there, like, you know, just screaming night terrors all night and they're getting checked on every third. I was like, bullshit to that. So, yeah, that was an interesting one. There's, there's, uh, this podcast obviously been pretty intense because the stories, but there's there's plenty of other funny moments that I can share with you later date if that's something. Oh, 100%. Well, well yeah, we'll definitely take a, and, and take I'm a part more, two. Not necessarily this serious. I love taking the yeah. piss out of nah. everyone and happy to have it thrown my way. And there's plenty of stories. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, mate. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, as I said, mate, we've uh, come up on a, a decent time of talking. Now, I've got a couple of questions that we generally end up with our guests. Yep, cool. Uh, first question actually probably ties in with a few of those uh, screenshots I sent you with a few uh, listener questions. There's multiple. Like there was, that was, I only sent you five pages. I think it was about <laughs> 20 all up. It was crazy. But this kind of ties in with that question. You know, what advice can you give to people to complete their goals and overcome any adversities and, uh, you know, just get what they want? You know, for example, you becoming a TOU operator, it's, it's not an easy feat. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of young uh, cops out there. And again, we've got copped a few of those questions. Yeah. They want to do it. Yeah, cool. Um, like we touched on in the, the latter parts of that interview is that it hasn't gone the way I wanted and I've ended up with PTSD, but if I were to have my time over again, I wouldn't change a thing. Like I, I I've, I, I, a lot of cops who go out with PTSD become sour on the cops because they don't support you. But I, I've, I'm, I'm not like that. I, I owe a lot to the cops and all the experiences I've had in relation to, to that question. Yeah. I'll, I'll just quickly say, on the point I'm addressing is that I would still be there and I'd still love being there if it, if it wasn't for the way that Katrina died. And I know I'd still be there. I love, I love the, I love the TU. I love the mateship. I love the cops and desperate every day. I wish I was still there, but I don't. Um, in relation to young cops, in joining the TU or any, anything in life, it's like just 
it's um, for me. I've uh, any any challenge that I've had, I would say, I've always thought that, that I could beat it, and and um, don't just 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 have a crack like like with this election. Like there's a, there's a big stigma as I imagine there is in the military with the SAS. It's like people get just talk here. Oh, it's impossible. You can't do it. Just. Just, just don't do it. Or people say you're kidding yourself. You're never going to pass it. That's so. Just have a go, and and that's that's what I did. And and I, and there's no way I was going to let them send me home. I was always yeah. going to do it. I've and people who know me know that I've I've always stepped up for a fight. Like there's been many a times through my career, and and even in relation to releasing this book, it was the cops threw everything at me to try and stop it, and I'm like, no. Nah. Um, you you picked the wrong fight because I I refuse to back down. That's a good conversational topic for yeah. another day. But <laughs> they're but, probably but, listening but, but, now too. Oh, good on them. <laughs> good luck to them. But um, honestly, it's yeah. Just 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 have a crack. Just put your whole whole effort into it. Yeah. And if it fails, it's not the end of the world. That's there's, it. There's lots of things to do. It's like the brand Nike. Just do it. <laughs> just, just fucking do it. <laughs> Uh, second question is, what is the plans for the future? Second book, oh, TV my, show, uh, movies. Uh, yeah. There's talk of both of those things. Funny enough, writing a book at this point, I prefer to sit down with a pair of pliers and pull my fingernails <laughs> out. But, um, no, <laughs> no, no, that's a bit dramatic. But um, no, I'm not really anything yet. Um, Writing a book is a is a journey. Obviously, it's a very emotional journey for me too because it's my story, man, mm. and, and it's it's a it's a it's a big thing. I've just told you I don't like talking about my emotions mm. or mm. showing um, weakness, and I've just put it out to the world. So that in itself was a massive challenge. And like your previous question, like a a fight that I overcame and put it out there uh, for me. There's there's lots of different things. There is actually, like you're saying, there is a lot of actual movie interest and um, John C. Riley. John C. Riley was mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> he could act. Movie. Mate, one day when the listeners uh, get to no, see what your face there's, there's, is, <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's uh, no um, Brad Pitt or Liam Hemsworth being mentioned for, no, for some reason. Will Ferrell. It's Will, Will, <laughs> and Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> the other guys. <laughs> Let's not start. When was it? When, about you. when was your last despot? Oh, <laughs> but um, yeah, for me in the future, obviously the old battle with the PTSD is going to take a lot. Mm. But but just I'm just going to keep doing stuff. Like oh, I, I've done carpentry and all that sort of thing. But uh, if if there is a movie made, I would uh, demand. Um, how do I say it? They stick to the not necessarily the storyline, but the the whole essence of it don't don't do what don't do Hollywood yeah. are doing to a lot yeah. of stories now. It's it's a it's a very Australian yeah. genuine raw story. So, so if that happens, that happens. There is talk about this talk of like book tours and stuff. I I haven't ruled anything out, and there, there's definitely lots of stuff coming up. Yeah, nice mate, nice, and obviously spending time with the with the fam. You're yeah, a, well, yeah. That, that's my that's primary the job now. I've gone to hanging out with a bunch of alpha males, and now you're doing blokey blokes to 
changing nappies and watching dance else. productions. Yeah, <laughs> tell you what, mate, it's, oh, and they're they're very girly girls. Yeah, oh, I'm, I know. I've got yeah, oh, I've got four. Oh, so it's but, all about Bluey and fucking oh, Peppa Pig. Well, just when you get through that stage, Peppa Pig, then another one comes. Oh, I got um <laughs> two older ones and I do too. Yeah, roll the dice for. So I've watched a boy, Frozen, yeah. A boy. Oh yeah, yeah. And yep, I got blessed a third time with there them. There you go. Fuck. And it's uh, mate, but as you know, you, you love them, and and they are a massive motivator for me. My two year old, especially through all of my challenge, like she's just so full of life and and a lot of work. You're like just not, but she's just that helped me a lot. Yeah, and and just being with my three girls and having to. Be a parent to them, and on realities, I'm the I'm the, the stay at home parent now. I'm, I'm the yeah the old school mum. So yeah, it's a massive change, and it has its challenges. But I live for them. So I, and there's no way I'd let PTSD or I, I, I like a, my priority in life is them now. So. Yeah, good. Yeah, uh, good on you, mate. Mate, uh, third question. Now you're an absolute fucking badass. Hardcore TOU operator, as one would say, cruising around in your black gear and just looking tough as motherfuckers. Um, that was a big part of it, man. Oh, 100, mate, it's all about the looks. The, the, <laughs> if oh, you don't look, yeah, you got to look the it's, part. It's, it's like you do selection, you do your courses, you you can run from here to bloody air yeah. rock and back. But then when you come out the other side and you're an operator, you yeah. just got to get big. Yeah, you got to get <laughs> and big. It's and all about the way you got to fucking look because cool. what, are you, what are you doing? You, you're ba- sorry. Not bashing, arresting bikies and yeah. the hardest group. You jump out, you grab them, you drag them back to the car. That's you got to look the part. Fuck, force, <laughs> first step of the force continuum, presence. Yep. There you go. So if you look like a sack of shit, you're probably going to get beat up. So just another word of advice for young police officers out there. Get fit, get strong, look the part. So, yeah, that question is, mate, what guilty obsessions do you have? Now... You said you like KFC earlier. You type of guy that you know, oh, takes his shirt off and rubs no, a bit of fucking fuck. potato gravy on your chest, and I don't know something. How more. far are we going with this point? Like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. My kids will listen to this shit. Won't yeah, they, you know? You're not um, watching the same stuff as uh, <laughs> old Malcolm. <laughs> oh no, beastie! No, safely say beastiality isn't one of my one of my things. Um. Well, I will say that I still chew boxes of Nicorette gum a day. Oh, do you? Mate, I've got something in here. Yeah, right. The whole interview. So, yeah, I can't I can't get off that. Um, That's my little thing. Um, You've got like a chocolate obsession or you, oh, seem, you seem like a guy that likes Taylor Swift or something like that. I wouldn't want to talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um Oh man, yeah. I don't mind a bit of chocolate. Love a beer, obviously. Just love uh one thing I do miss is just hanging out with the, the boys and like minded like minded people and getting on the beers and like for me we didn't really talk about it much, but sniper trips, man, and that was I love being a sniper, I love being away with a boy and like you literally shoot guns all day and drink piss all night. Yeah. So that's that's a sniper trip. Yeah. That's what I miss, and yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that anymore if I if I could. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh fuck, that's that's good enough. All right, just quickly, 
I did put out uh, questions to the listeners. Some of them, some of them just not going to read. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. <laughs> Here's one, actually. Actually, no. No, that's shit. <laughs> Sorry to the person that wrote that. I don't know who it is. Here's one, actually. What piece of equipment made your job easier that day? Um, and, and what do you wish you had? Again, looking back in hindsight. Well, I probably would have preferred to go with my UMP. I sub submachine gun with forty cal rounds at, at the distance that I ended up engaging him, and the, the frag may not have been the issue that it was. Um, my the the best bit of kit I had on the day is still under a coroner's non-publication order, mm -hmm. but it's um, you'll see on even my page. It's a, well, I'll say this: I'll say my light source and laser pointer, which is a, it's a good bit of kit, which um, is highly readily available. I think even now that we use a newer version of it. Yeah, but. Mate, we, probably, could do, we could do another whole podcast. Yeah, it's, 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 it's all on fucking Call of Duty. In to putting out this book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, definitely, definitely. So it, there's even pictures on it on the New South Wales Police Facebook page. <laughs> of, course, of course there is. Anyway. Beside them doing TikToks. Oh, I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> Here's another one. Who was the boss, the best boss at the TRU? How did they affect the job and culture? So obviously no names probably. But who was he and, you know, what did he do to, you know, like fucking, we're the fucking kings. You know what I mean? Like, let's go, boys. Yeah. F for me, there was a – back in the day when I first joined, the the bosses were still ex-operators. And the the boss, the last boss that I – there was one that I liked a bit, but the one that I still like and respect to, to this day is – He's an ex-operator and was there for the first five, six years I was there. And, it, yeah, he's, I'm pretty sure he's still in the cops. I don't know how he is, but, yeah, mate, and he – well, he lived and breathed for the TU. He wasn't about cost-cutting and sent there by upper management to change cultures and like, he knew what worked. He, he was one of the boys. He was one of the operators. He wasn't, he wasn't there to reinvent the wheel. As they say, and yeah, I, I think that the, the day that TU went downhill was when they sent in a, someone who wasn't an operator trained and just sent in there to save money and change cultures and or do whatever they whatever they issue they they decide they have. Yeah, right. Fuck. Last question. Sorry, mate. I'm just no. I'm not gonna fucking read it. Mate, I'm hard to offend. Read away. <laughs> <laughs> What's one says? How's your headspace? We obviously spoke about that. So ongoing, ongoing, getting better. Yeah, I want to try that uh, that shit they do in Mexico. Get on the mushrooms, mate, psychedelics. Like, yep, and I know of people who've done that, and it's yeah. having like, mate, like awesome some of those big name uh, SF guys in the US have done it. Yeah, oh, mate. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't rule that out. Yeah, because I can get some dodgy mushrooms here, but oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I got some down my way. But it's um, well, I think the whole idea of it is that it just because 
when I was doing all the exposure therapy stuff, just talking about it, it's um, your body just shuts you down. It, yeah, it, it can't. It, it, it's like goes into protection mode and just won't let you go into it, which that doesn't work with exposure therapy. So with that, it just bypasses that. So it's, it shuts your body out and it lets you go into all that trauma and bring it up and process it. So, yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah. One day it'll come here 20 years' time or something. Yeah, yeah. But but I know of people who've been over there and done it, Apparently even people in, involved in that day I'll say yeah. that much and that's yep. helped them. So. Yep. Uh, last question. A lot of blokes uh, thinking of leading the Defence Force and uh, becoming a copper. Would you recommend? No. No. Yeah. Not the New South Wales police, not now. Um, say, in saying that, I I loved my career in the cops, mm. and I miss it daily. But the the state that the New South Wales police—I can't speak for other jurisdictions—it's it's it's pretty it's pretty bad. It's toxic at the moment. Like there, there's a reason why the average police policing career is down to like four years. It, it, it's a career job. I imagine it's a lot, lot like the military. You join to be a cop, you want to do it till you retire. And this is a podcast within itself, all of the issues I see in it, um, re- just touching on things like re- recruiting. They, they don't necessarily want the, the knockabout, tradie, ex-military, footy player sort of blokes anymore. That's not necessarily what they want. And, yeah, there's definitely an issue. There's, there's reasons why there's droves of people leaving police force while they're struggling with recruitment. So maybe look at other jurisdictions. I don't know how that Yeah, is. yeah. Fuck, I guess if you're a there's, – There's still – there's in saying that, there are many, many good cops. Oh, 100%. So many good 100%. Cops, 100%. And, and, and I, I wish them all well and I feel for them working in the current environment yeah. that they are because there, yeah. there is no support from the top. The only support – is from other cops mm. and mate, they do a great job in everything. So, yeah. 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 So stay in the military or I become oh. an ambo or something. Ambo or fiery. Oh, fiery, mate. That's fiery. Put your feet up, watch a movie and get paid for it. <laughs> if you can. That's why I haven't got any on at the moment. Cause, yeah, I don't. Oh, mate, that's the best job in the they're world. They're sleeping all the time. <laughs> um, 20, all right. 24-hour shifts are doing that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, fuck. Mate, let's uh, quickly, uh, again, for the listeners, if you want to get his book, head to tigertigertigerbook.com, jump on and get yourself a book. Again, I've read through it and it's, it's, it's an absolute cracker. If you want to reach out to Ben, you can head to his Instagram, which is... I'm going. I'm not going to lie. Um, he's pretty so, hopeless. Social media yeah, he's, is not my number one thing. Yeah. Uh, I'll Maddie, tell you, Maddie's, I'll, been, Maddie's been giving me a few I'll tell you how it. hopeless he is. When, <laughs> when I first got onto him, he had his personal Facebook linked to his Instagram. He said, mate, do you know why uh, I can see pictures of your kids? <laughs> I was like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think I dropped the phone. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that can be a, something I'll focus on in the future. Work, <laughs> Social work. media. But, yeah, no, I will get back to you if, if you post on there. And feedback from the book coming in has just – it's been awesome. And even if it's just a message, even if you don't want me to repost or something, but I've been getting some seriously awesome feedback yeah, on both awesome. Instagram and Facebook, and, and I do read it. So 
if you want to tee off on me, you can too. I don't give a fuck. But I mean, it's uh, if you send positive, you're probably a terrorist <laughs> or a bikey. Oh, yeah, I would have had fun with you in the past. But um, no. But anyway, like I will on a serious note, I'll, I will read your feedback, and I appreciate everything that comes in on it. So yeah, awesome. And I endeavour to get somewhat better on it. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook is Tiger Tiger Book, same as the website without the dot com. Yep, mate. Again. Appreciate you coming up here into the studio. Give me your time to share one of the most uh, just hectic stories that I've heard personally. And, you know, again, it just it captivated Australia. Definitely um, shout out to all current and uh, former TOU. And, yeah, mate, th- thanks again. And, uh, you know, I just want to dedicate this podcast to Tori Johnson and uh, Katrina Dawson. Thank you. And fuck you, shitbag. Rotten hell. Yep. Thanks, mate. Too easy. Thanks, man. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. Now, as you know, I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. <laughs> However, lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags, literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, a few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine, and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour-over filter bags, you've got some merchandise, and just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our bio, you see that discount code, use it, get your discounts. So again, jump on to 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.